Hello, brothers and sisters. This is the Remnant Warrior, and you are now listening to Buy Their Fruits on the Kingdom Productions Network. Buy their fruits. You shall know them. Buy, 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 buy their fruits. 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 You shall know them. Welcome to Buy Their Fruits. I am your host, Jeremy Stone, and I'm here with my co-host, John. How you doing today, John? I'm doing well, Jeremy. It's uh, good to be here. It's good to be back again. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we missed y'all. Hope everybody's doing well. God bless everybody's listening. But it's definitely uh, good to be back with another podcast. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's been a minute. I know that uh, life's been pretty crazy for everybody around here. So, you know, hopefully people aren't too upset about it. But we're doing our best and we'll try to be more consistent as, you know, the, the year moves on. So, but uh, today we have a special guest. His name is Paul, and he owns the. Actually, you know what, Paul? I'm going to let you do your own little intro. You can tell people who you are, where to find you. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, well, um, my name's Paul. I run a YouTube channel called Understanding Conspiracy. Um, I've been doing this now for maybe about c- coming ten years. Um, yeah, what what were you? Yeah, we're now twenty three. Yeah, ten years almost. Um, I generally came at all this stuff at the start from a kind of a new age Gnostic psychedelic tripping perspective. Um, I, I, the channel was actually just an art project for university originally, um, just trying to figure out what conspiracy theorists believe. And as uh, the years went on, I eventually realized, you know, they're all correct. <laughs> and uh, there's no conspiracy at all. It's actually just all the truth. Um, and then as the years went on further, I obviously started to develop my own faith. Um, and I came to the truth in Christ as the answer for why we have the conspiracy to begin with. Um, and as the years went on again in 2016, I started a series, um, called the Nephilim look like clowns based off a few things. Really, it was, uh, through a few spiritual experiences, which kind of led me to discover this and the 2016 clown sightings happened, which kind of the, um, kind of solidified it for me if you get what i mean and made me um make it made it click in my mind so i started doing research into this concept of the clowns having something to do with the ancient giants of the antediluvian past and the connections just kept rolling and here i am now you know quite a few years later seven years later since starting that series and i have 40 episodes of, of a series dedicated to breaking down that concept um, multiple live shows, hours of research, and I'm also writing the book about it. Currently, I'm halfway through, so um, that's that's me in a nutshell, summarize as quickly as I possibly can. So, so Paul, um, so I was a former New Ager myself too, uh, but I was um, raised uh, in uh, the church with a with a family of born again Christians and a very strong faith, uh, which I myself thought I was born again, um, but um kind of drifted away into new age thought and new age belief um and i don't think that i was and that i didn't come born again until um 2019 um or you know there's there's a big difference once you have the holy spirit dwelling within you (laughs) 
when you start, you know, you um, start understanding scripture more and Holy Spirit's convicting you on trying to live a more Christ-like life, you know, that was absent from me uh, when I was, when I was uh, growing up, not that I was as, as wretched as I could have been, uh, but I, um, you know, I, it's, it's different. It's, it's different for those who are born again and have the Holy Spirit dwell within them. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, different. It's very difficult to, ex to explain it to someone who does not, even to someone who is not born again, because they think it's all from us. But in reality, it's God, you know, uh, uh, you know, through the Holy Spirit, um, you know, um, chastising us and correcting us and giving us revelation. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I found that very interesting because I've heard you tell your, your, your testimony. Yeah. Um, before. Um, and, um, you know, I, a lot of a lot of truthers and this is you know wh why i'm so appreciative of your apologetics um is because it's very similar to mine as being a former truther and new ager myself um and kind of you know looking at conspiracy culture and um see how that's ramped up you know and how it's continuing to ramp up mm -hmm. um, over these past few years um, and so I guess, the, you know, the first question, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess when I ask you, could you go a little bit more in depth into, because uh, I know you briefly surmised your, um, your testimony, yeah. uh, but could you go a little bit more in depth as far as like who you were listening to uh, at the time when you kind of, uh, you know, delved into conspiracy or truth or culture, uh, you know, as a lot of people sadly go down the Gnostic rabbit hole, but, you know, sometimes of course, you know, you know, God can, um, you know, reach out to people who've gone down that path. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it, that can is a very broad path. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and there's a narrow path that leads to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, can you, you know, talk a little bit more about that, please? Certainly. Well, when I first came into it, um, it was in 2000, it was the build up to 2012, you know, the end of the world, um, the Mayan calendar stuff, everyone was adamant the world was going to end on December 24, uh, 21st in 2012 and i was listening to all this 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 concept and i was like what on earth are they talking about why why do people believe this is going to happen you know um so that's what started me looking into just tapping into youtube 2012 end of the world and you start just getting all this this flood of doomsday scenario imagery videos of meteors crashing into the sea and tidal waves smashing all over the earth you know and you had uh, the film 2012 come out around the same time so loads of stock footage from that film was made into these youtube videos and you had requiem for a dream blasting out in the background with this epic yep. you know <laughs> these words flashing over saying you know there's going to be a pole shift as nibiru returns and wormwood and all, <laughs> all these these words were, were bounding around you know and i, I was like what is this mess what is going on you know why where does all this come from i knew nothing about it you know um and during that time i was an artist in art school at university you know i was a heavy cannabis user heavy psychedelic user i was a man of the world as a very worldly person very anti-religious borderline new age gnostic spiritual i didn't really have much of a philosophy other than kind of like a taoist zen type understanding of creation you know i was heavily into um, alan watts at the time um you know and all of his every one of his lectures all through the 70s you know that he had done i'd kind of listened to and I was very heavily into terence mckenna um and it was all about consciousness exploration that was kind of it for me now i'd never call myself a hippie i was never really that type of guy you know um i, I wasn't into that woo culture you know and a tarot card reading and crystals and i was never that type of guy i was more logistical scientific 
pseudo-scientific consciousness exploration type guy. You know, that, that was me. Institute of Noetic Sciences, does that ring any bell to you? <laughs> um, not, not particularly, no. I, I, I wouldn't say I would... Um, I wasn't well versed. If you know what that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, is into an sciences, and they're actually being funded by the elites. I won't go to it in depth, but well, I think a lot. I think a lot of it came from Helena Blavatsky's um, influence and work on on the world, and, and her idea of this uh, agenda. Moderately, when you're talking about people like Terence McKenna, the whole Joe Rogan culture, and everything like that, which Jesse yeah. Spots, Matthew North did a lot of research about, and stuff like that. You know, back in the day, for sure. Yes, I agree with you, Blavatsky and Theosophy and Bailey and stuff like that. But it's kind of a modern push of pushing psychedelics yeah uh, with myself used to use dmt <laughs> and salvia and stuff like that every marijuana right. too as well so yeah, yeah. You know, all that yeah yeah i i remember doing i think salvia was worse than dmt to be honest in terms of strength yeah. and power yeah, i think it was insane not fun uh, but people could get that for free for, well easily legally at head shops you know and <laughs> then obviously you get dmt and i did salvia first when i was 17 you know and that was a hell of an experience that um, stuck with me forever and I kind of, you know, I went into conspiracy research with already this kind of, that's the world I was in. I was in the psychedelic realm, you know. Uh, so I came at all the research I was discovering in the conspiracy world about what is going on here. You have these evil satanic elite people, you know, and then you have uh, maybe perhaps some kind of consciousness expanded ascension masters perhaps trying to communicate with us through crop circles to help mankind elevate their consciousness to the fifth dimension i was kind of going down that route, route naturally because of where i came from you know um but something never quite sat right with me to be honest when i was watching all these videos I, I, there was always this undercurrent of it's interesting and fun to speculate but the answer is not satisfying enough it doesn't quite there's something weird about it, you know, because I kept seeing all these people who believe in the devil, you know, ruling the world, being openly, blatantly satanic and all of their esoteric symbolism. And it's like, well, if they believe the devil's real, should I be believing the devil's real? Was kind of one of this undercurrent that I constantly had under all of my research. It's like, they take it very seriously. You know, they, they, they know who they serve type of thing. Do I know who I serve? Was these questions I was always kind of asking myself. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I was always just seeped in this Zen philosophy, you know, zeitgeist came out, I believed all the nonsense it was telling me about Jesus, Jesus just being another sun god and all this type of stuff. And I never really went deep enough to actually look into those claims, you know, I took it all at surface level. I was quite easily manipulated because I was high all the time, basically. You know, I was willing to go with these whims and these ideas and these fanciful thoughts without questioning the the, pers the people or the agendas behind them, essentially. Um, but as time went on and as deeper as I got into it, there was always just the Jesus question was always there as an alternative offering me different perspectives on what was happening, you know? And I, I just got to the point where I'd, I'd studied every topic manage, manageable. Like I could handle everything to do with conspiracy. I had done some deep dive into, I'd gone down every rabbit hole to the bottom of it. I possibly could during yeah. that time. Um, I made a huge list of all the conspiracies that are out there. And that was actually my project for university. I would sit there and I have this list in front of me and I'd just say to people, pick something and I'll tell you all about it. Just pick a conspiracy and I'll tell you everything about it from the top of my head. You know what I mean? And that was basically my end of year project. <laughs> um, among other things, I had some psychedelic artwork I made along the way. I got heavily into sacred geometry as an artist. I loved drawing all everything to do with um, the platonic solids, you know, and everything behind that concept and the flower of life and all this type of stuff. It was just all very beautiful to me.
But that, while doing all this, I kind of realized this is proving to me there is actually a physical design to this realm as well, that, and universal laws and principles that, that, that are clearly designed. These things don't happen by accident. So everything was always kind of hinting to me. God's real. You need to start actually paying attention to the, what the Christians are saying about all this stuff. So after university ended and I had this project over with and, you know, I was on my own in the world. I didn't really know where I was going. I had no direction. Um, I was heavily burnt out from drug use, um, uppers, you know, MDMA, cocaine, psychedelics, cannabis, mushroom, everything you could imagine I was doing, you know. And I was burnt out. I was done. I was at the end of my tether. I had nothing left to give emotionally. I was emotionally dead, spiritually dead, I would say. Um, all of this new age stuff I had pursued and this the searching for higher consciousness and trying to get into these realms to find God had killed me spiritually. I, I It gave me nothing, you know, and all these Gnostic principles of I am God that I had in my mind and I create reality through my own perceptions actually gave bear no good fruits whatsoever. If I can, uh, you know, <laughs> use your name here as an example, it, it gave me nothing but misery, pain, loneliness and emptiness and more questions than answers. Um, it was like a tantalizing philosophy that made me feel special. But all I had to offer from it and all I really had from it was a bunch of word salad nonsense that answered nothing and gave nothing to anybody and helped nobody um, and was killing me. You know, it was actually killing me. Like I, I was spiritually dead and possibly physically dying from all the heavy drug abuse. Um, so it came to a point I was actually at a, at a stag do for my brother-in-law and I was in a different city and I was a visiting family away from university at the time. I only had a, about a few months left to leave my university town before I had to come home. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I had no, I had no direction, no idea whatsoever. Um, so I was at like a low point. Like I was, like I said, like I said, I was in all this mental drain state at a very low point at this hedonistic party, you know, and questioning my life, basically, what am I going to do? And I'd had all this, you know, I'd been listening to people like Derek Prince and, um, well, there's other Christian talkers. Jesse Spots is probably one of them, actually, now I think about the, the time zone, you know. Just Christian talk. I was listening to people t tell me about the Bible, and I hadn't really read it myself by this point, but I'd listened to a lot of people talking about it. And I, I was starting, starting to feel convicted for my choices. You know, I started to feel this, something was working in me, and in this low point, I um I ran a bath at the hotel. And I've never, I never had a bath for about, for about 15 years up until this point. I'd only ever had showers. I'd only ever lived in a place that had a shower cubicle for like most of my life. So I hadn't really had a bath since I was like 10 years old by this point. You know, when you're still innocent and probably still have the Holy Spirit in you, that type of thing. Um, and I, I just ran a bath at this hotel and I got in. As soon as I went under the water, I, I, I said to myself, you know, God, just, just help me help me figure out what I'm going to do next. I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm doing. I'm a mess. I've heard people tell me, you know, this is the answer. You can save me. If that's true, then just save me. I basically just said that to myself. And I went under the bath to relax, you know. And when I went under the water, suddenly I had this huge shock of energy just rushed through my body, like right into the chest. I thought I was having a panic attack. I leaped yeah. out of the bath, ran straight to the mirror. And just as quick as it came, it was gone. And I was just staring into the mirror like, what the hell was that? I have no idea what that was. Um, but from that day, everything changed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm eight years sober now. I don't do any drugs. I do nothing. Maybe caffeine. I have a cup of coffee every morning. That's all I do. 
I have no nicotine, no cannabis. I haven't touched psychedelics since that day. Clean, completely clean. Um, I got a great job um, working at a supermarket. I earned a lot of money. Um, I became a manager. I got manager's experience. I got wealth of experience from that whole thing. Negative as well. I learned a lot about how the world works in a corrupt way from it, as well as how to manage people and interact with people. Um, I got given purpose. People depended on me, which was kind of what I needed. I needed that to get through life, I think, and to realize what how important it is to have that, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I'm married now. I have a wonderful child. Um, I, I run my own business. I'm now an artist. I get to be a photographer, a wedding photographer. You know, I've got this YouTube channel that grows. I was given this knowledge about this Nephilim thing that I seem to just be gifted and rolling with. And, you know, I've got this wonderful community. Everything just got better from that day. And I'm not saying I changed overnight necessarily. It was a long, grueling, painful process to lose all those addictions. But I had the strength to just do it one at a time. You know, starting with the psychedelics and all the hard stuff gone. Uh, then I switched from um, cigarettes to an e-cigarette. I stopped smoking cannabis, cold turkey in 2016. Um, just stopped that completely. And nicotine, I've been lowering the amounts now and I quit at the start of the year completely and haven't touched it since. Um, and it took that long to get there, but there I am. You know, and all I had to do at my lowest point was just ask God, please help me. If you're real, prove it, help me please, I'm begging you, just ask for help. And he did. And he's proved to me consistently since that day that he is real and he cares and he's there at every moment, you know, and um, my faith has only just gotten stronger with the information that he's shown to me through my own research. It edifies my faith every day. Um, And I can't prove to anybody else he exists. (laughs) Unfortunately, I can only tell you what happened to me that makes me know that he is real and that's as far as i can really go i'll tell you what man i i have i can relate to a lot of your testimony i mean me, me myself before i was a christian i was huge into conspiracies and one that i focused mainly on although i was into the ufo stuff and um the occult and all that stuff but um something i really really focused on was the uh new world order in general and all its different facets and you know, diving heavily into that. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I studied it for like four years. And um, like I said, I touched on all these other types of conspiracies and and beliefs. And at that point, I I didn't know what to think. But, you know, I I met a friend on Facebook. And at this point in my life, like my brother and I, he's my twin, we got saved at the same time on the same day in my bedroom. But how it all worked out, like, it was all God, man. Like I met this kid on Facebook. Um, my brother and I were like screaming new world order all the time and nobody really cared, you know? And it seemed like nobody in the world within 50 miles of us cared about what was actually going on in the world. And they didn't want to see that what we saw, you know, how corrupt it is and this and that. Well, this kid happened to live that I was uh, reaching out to happened to live like 20 minutes down the road from me. And, uh, I, I won't get into it, but we actually have a lot more connections in life that we never really realized until we got to meet each other and uh, and became basically like brothers. But um, he came over and it was like the night after we watched my brother and I watched Zeitgeist. And like you, we just ate it up all that information. You know, it was saying how uh, Christ is the sun in the sky and his 12 uh, disciples of the 12 um, or 12 apostles of the 12 um, constellations and all this stuff, right? That they're just trying to, the first 10 minutes of the whole movie, they just focus on Christianity and debunking it. And, um, you know, we believed it and 
literally the next day because my brother and I, we, all we cared about was the truth. We wanted the truth and we should have looked at the claims to this, but I mean, we didn't at the time, but when my buddy came over the next day, we watched, he asked if we wanted to watch a documentary and that's pretty much all my brother and I ever did. So, um, he came over and he put on, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called age of deceit by Don Shamora on yeah. uh from Facebook, the sun YouTube channel. And, um, he does the, the channel got shut down now, but you can still find the documentary on YouTube. People like mirrored it and stuff, but it talked about every single thing that my brother and I were ever involved in. It also brought up, like it was heavily focused on the new world order, uh, the new age movement, UFOs and all this stuff. And it was strictly looking at this from a biblical perspective. And I had never read the Bible before ever, you know, but this, this documentary was blowing my mind the entire time I was watching it because it was like God was showing me every single thing that I was ever involved in and then the Bible was like debunking all these things or telling us that it was wrong don't practice these things you know what I mean yeah and at the at the very end of it it preached the gospel man and my brother and I like it hit us in our heart man it was completely supernatural once we heard the gospel our hearts just got like touched by God man and we just fell on our knees and started crying and asked Christ to save us. And it was just a wild time, but it was amazing how he connected every single thing that I ever have ever researched beforehand, you know, back to the word of God. And it's like, he knew we were seeking the truth and that's all we ever wanted. And then he gave it to us. He showed it to us, you know, so we continue to do everything that we've been doing and researching and exposing all these things from a biblical perspective, because like you, when you see what's really going on, you see that whether somebody believes it or not, the elite at the very, very top are theistic Satanists. You know, they run the world. That's that's their belief is in Satan, right? That he is the savior. And at that point, we had to choose a side. We we're like, dude, well, if all these people are running the world are believe in Satan, that means that Christ has to be real. I mean, yeah. He, mathematically it's impossible for the small group of people to be running the lives of billions and billions of people and have it so interconnected and so sophisticated you know what i mean without the help of some higher power Absolutely. you know so we chose a side we chose jesus christ and from that day forward i was like 19 is so i'm 30 i just turned 30 so <laughs> it's been a good like 11 years but yeah man i i really reflected with you on that i could relate to exactly what you went through it's the same story for a lot of people this this is the thing like i i have a telegram group and what is one of the pinned comments up there is tell me how you woke up what was the thing that happened to you exactly that made you how you define wake up because i understand new ages will also come to my channel not just christians you know so i was keeping it loose with you know the description like just what whatever your definition of waking up is how did you come to that realization and the most stories are what we just said you know i was a new ager um into that gnostic realm of thinking you know and then um certain events happened which showed the true evil in the world and the true where the true power lies and it kind of led them to discovering jesus and being saved it's always the same story and yeah. um i think i was on a podcast recently by someone uh, who goes by the uh, name the raven and he he said um we're kind of like backdoor christians people like us you know who who didn't go to church necessarily or weren't really raised religious but came to christ through this this conspiracy research and you know as much as there's all this deception within 
the conspiracy realm, which leads people down a new age Gnostic perspective, which is obviously older than time itself. And the deception has never changed. It's always the same lie. You will, you will be as gods is basically the fundamental basis of all Gnostic theology. Um, and most people go down that route. Um, you'll find most of them eventually always end up turning into from the Gnostics to the Christ truth eventually. And it's kind of, it's like God's still using this movement with all the corruption within it to still lead people to him regardless. Um, and I kind of love, I love that aspect of it, you know, and no matter what, if you're really in it for the truth, you will find the truth and it's Jesus. That's what will happen. If you're being honest and sincere about finding the truth, you may start down the new age Gnostic route, but you will always end up eventually back down that narrow path to that point that God is real. And so is Jesus. It will always lead there, no matter where you start in the conspiracy realm. And what my job is, what I'm trying to do is cut that middleman out, cut that waste of time out and say to yep. you guys, listen, guys, look, if, you, if you're going to get into conspiracy theories, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to end up with Jesus at the end. That's where you will end up. Okay. You might go on a long winding path, wide journey to get there. You'll end up believing all sorts of crazy things and perspectives. You might get stuck on one subject for years, uh, like flat earth or something before moving on to something else or Tartaria or whatever it is on Mandela effect. You might get overly obsessed with something. Your belief system will change 20 times, but you will always end by understanding that the biblical, the big, the, the biblical perspective and narrative is the story that is the truth that is what's happening right now you will always end up there as long as you do what all of us did here and many people are listening out there we we submitted to god ultimately yeah um you know i mean we all all three of us here are all born again um you know we submitted to god it was the same thing for me where i fought tooth and nail for a year or two where god was calling me uh through people like you mentioned jesse spots earlier um, and, um, you know, listening to, to Christians, uh, to Christian apologetics against new age beliefs, even though I was raised in the church, um, uh, you know, I, um, had, uh, fell away. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, it, it took a while for me to, to become a full blown Gnostic too. It was like, it was weird. It took a while for me to become a Gnostic and then it took a while, actually it took longer for me to finally, you know, uh, uh give my life to Jesus Christ. Um, but um, it's, you know, it's interesting, though, that, um, you know, unless someone submits to God and say, you know, help me, you know, or I, you know, repent, Lord, of my previous beliefs, uh, you know, or, you know, genuinely reach out to God to be saved, right, because Jesus Christ freed the captives, um, you know, there sadly are, I will say this, and one reason why I think all of us here are, are trying to do apologetics to the New, to the new Age crowd um, is that, you know, if any any one of us or all three of us, if we never would have submitted to God's will, and because, you know, a lot of people come to that point, and sadly, not everybody does. There are people who get very close, God's calling them, and they reject uh, the truth. Um, and, most of the time, it, most of the time, in my opinion, in my, my experience, is that people just, when it comes to the Bible, they already have their minds set that is, this book been written by man and it's to control the population and blah, 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 blah. You know, I was there once too, but you know, I took the time and a lot of people have, but sadly some people don't take the time to hear the Bible out or read it for themselves to, to really come to their own conclusion about it. You know, it's, they have this preconceived notion in their head and they're stuck in all these other conspiracies, you know, and they seem to. It's a pride it. issue. It is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pride issue is what it comes down to. Yeah. I love so it was the same thing with me. I guess one last thing. Um, it was the same thing with me in that I, as a new wager, read Blavatsky and Bailey, 
I just thought that they were practicing it wrong when Blavatsky was, you know, uh, you know, putting Lucifer up on a pedestal and worshiping Lucifer, right? But in my own New Age beliefs, because it's subjective, right? We have the objective truth, uh, biblical truth of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then, you know, everybody else, you know, as far as the religion blanket under there is concerned, there's only one true religion. And is born again, you know, Christianity, Bible believing Christianity. You know, outside of that, all the other religions, you know, it's subjectivism. And so because it's that subjectivism, you know, I was like, well, yeah, they worship Lucifer, but I didn't, which wasn't true. I, I worship both myself and Satan, whether I realize it or not. And it was when I finally I was driving back from Raleigh, North Carolina in my van where I just broke down and told God, I said, I'm sorry, like, please forgive me for all the blasphemic ways that I used to practice. And, you know, please save me, you know, and at that moment. Um, I felt um, very similar to yours, Paul, uh, when you were talking about very similar to your um, born again moment, where I think I had the Cunnilini uh, or spirit of divination or a Cunnilini spirit inside of me because I used to have a lot of grandiose uh, dreams and visions and thinking, almost divining when I was um, a new ager. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I felt something like just like, come out of my spine and just leave me. And then I felt the same thing you felt, which was the Holy Spirit entering me. I have no other way of explaining what this was. And it was the most intense love and I've ever felt in my entire life. And it settled in my chest. And I've never, again, I've never felt like my third eye or anything like that anymore since I've been saved and, and everything. But I still, when I feel the Holy Spirit within me, I feel this intense unimaginable love in my chest you yeah. know that that i've never felt in my entire life and you like you said like that moment where i felt like i was having a panic attack too and i was like what is going on here but then i was calming and then th in that moment i had no fear of death anymore like i i, I mean as a, as as a human we all fear the physical side of death right you know but as far as the you know the the the, the death you know as far as what happens to us after you know we die as born again believers, we go to heaven. You know, the Holy Spirit bells, you know, uh, bears testament to that within inside of us, right? And so I know that fear left me, you know. And so you know, and and, and is that fear of death that drives people to sin? Because a lot of the times they're trying to say, well, this is the only life we have, so you might as well do whatever you want, do what thou wilt, to you know, to to um, to, to to you know, live in that state of mind. Um, you know, and so, you know, after that, um, that, that intense rush left me, but I've always known the Holy Spirit is there and I always feel the Holy Spirit and it's, it's a peace and a love. Anybody's listening out there is not saved that I could never achieve by my own hands when I was a new ager or by any other means, because it's impossible without God's grace by the faith that we have in his son, Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't come to it by knowledge. You can't come by to it by works. All you can do is come by to it by faith. And no matter how much you know, and no matter how much you try, you'll never, you'll never obtain it. You'll never obtain it. And it's only peace and love that truly matters. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. And it's sad. It breaks my heart to see people try to work their way to getting that as my as myself. I used to try to work my way to getting that. And it's a free gift and you can't work your way to get it. It's impossible. And it breaks my heart 
to see people just, you know, there's so many people get so close. They'll spend hours like we all did hours, hours, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours exploring any conspiracy theory. But, won't, you know, because pride primarily, they won't look into the Bible objectively and find the only truth that matters. It's sad. It truly is sad. And that's why I think that your ministry is important, Paul. Um, because you are speaking to former New Agers like yourself and saying, hey, look, you know, Jesus is all that matters. He is the ultimate truth that you are seeking. And it is a lonely, barren road out there because they are not that many apologetics to New Agers like people think they are. They are few and far between, and as we, I believe we might be entering into the end times, um, there's a lot of work to be done that God needs to work through us to get done, Yeah. but there, it, it is abounding as much as the false religions out there. It is magnifying like has been seen in the first century. Oh, the new age has grown exponentially from when I first started. Um, I mean, the new age as well, even though there's still those, you know, tarot card reading ascended master worshipping type new ages out there who are quite hippy dippy airy fairy probably not actually that deep about what they're getting into the occultic gnostics have grown a huge base since that started yeah. in 2012 they are bigger than ever now it's like a lot of those new ages have started in that simplified commercialized version of new ageism have now um i suppose progressed if you want to say it or ascended into the gnostic way of thinking the occult stuff you know and all they're doing is just basically luciferianism that's what they basically got themselves into um and you know the light that they believe is true is that you know lucifer is, is the knowledge bringer he's the one who gave us the knowledge that will free us from a cruel and vindictive god who keeps us trapped in an evil prison the demiurge you know and maybe not a lot of them, like a lot of them kind of create their own religion and God through Gnostic thinking as well. They'll say, no, you know, well, that's not real Gnosticism. It's the kind of the whole, that's not real communism yep. type of argument, you know, and my version yeah. is different from their version. But the point is they're all so subjective that they ultimately the, the aesthetic baseline of all of their beliefs is you all believe you are individual gods and you can be like God yourself through knowing enough stuff. And that's just not the truth. That has never been the truth and never will be the truth. But the Gnostic base is huge. And um, it's this, this is the strange thing with my channel. I attract them because they look at my logo, which is a six-pointed star with all the sacred geometry in there. Um, and they don't understand that I've put that logo there because that's the conspiracy you need to understand. That symbol. Get to know that symbol and everything. Break it down and in all the individual bits and you'll understand what the conspiracy is. And then I'll point them to the truth, which is Jesus. You know, so my my symbol is a symbol of the deception. You need to understand. You know, but they come in thinking I'm one of them. They see my yeah. Sure. They see my theory, which is this Nephilim look like clowns thing, and they give me all sorts of pontification and thoughts that go deep into the um, archetypical meaning of a jester within society's collective consciousness. And I shoot them down and say that's nonsense. You just said a lot of basically bullshit that makes no sense whatsoever just because it makes you feel like you sound really smart when saying it i'm telling you they literally look like clowns they're not archetypes they're very real beings it's the thing to do with the collective unconscious it's a very real place where these very real entities dwell they have a history and a reason for being there and you're a fool if you think you have anything to do with why they exist 
<laughs> which is what they believe. They believe they've created them themselves with their own projections of their own mind and using our typical symbols of the collective consciousness of humanity or some nonsense like that. The th what I like about the Christian perspective is like, it's very clear. It's real. Those are real entities with their own personality and consciousness. And they're your, they're your enemy. And you think they're your friends. Like <laughs> that's, right. you know, that's, I'm trying to be as straight to the point and as realistic about the situation as I can be. And I'm not in there to get all philosophical and deep and about how to make myself sound smart. That's not my game. But that's, I get so many Gnostics coming my way who think that's what I want to do or what I want to listen to or what I want to say or I want to listen to them musings. Then when I tell them I'm a Christian, oh, they snap. They lose it. Yeah. They lose it. Yeah. And I get this like common thing, like how can somebody be so smart yet so stupid? It's kind of like, well, ask yourself that question. Like, you think I'm, yeah. you think I'm smart, do you? And I'm telling you I believe in Jesus. Do you have some kind of cognitive dissonance going on in there? You know, am I not smart anymore? Right. <laughs> you know, has something has something changed? You know, bias. This is what I mean. It's kind of they they it's 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 pride. It's they don't want to let go of the identity that they've created in Gnosticism. They don't want to let go of the idea that they may be a god. You know, and they don't want to humble themselves and consider that maybe they don't know everything, and maybe they're not going to be able to figure it all out and save themselves. Maybe they need some help, and they don't want to accept that. You know, and it's rebellion at its core as well. It's pride and rebellion. And that's that's basically why we have a problem. That's why we needed Jesus. That's why the Nephilim were created. That's <laughs> pride and rebellion was the very first issue in sin that's caused all of this from, from Lucifer to Adam and Eve to Cain all the way down to today. It's That's mankind's real problem, rebellion and pride. Um, that's our world. Our world is centered around those two sins, I would say. Well, well played, first of all, on your symbol, because that's that's people don't realize, but that's the most powerful symbols in the occult. Yeah. Six pointed star. That's exactly what it is. And uh, people don't realize that. And obviously we see this all over the place with, you know, Israel and and this and that. But I guess we'll save that for another time because you had yeah. a good segue into what we're here <laughs> for, which is the Nephilim look like clowns. Oh, and I yeah. need to know, like, what did you what what snapped in your mind to to touch on this subject? and and really focus in because it's a it's a it's something i never heard of until i saw your research and i was like this is incredible you know what i mean i'm like this is awesome <laughs> so what sparked you into getting in that it's 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 a hard story to tell because it's kind of like a mashup of a lot of things um so coming from a psychedelic perspective i'd always heard of the the dmt jesters or the machine yeah. elves and all that type of stuff yeah. so i was always very well aware of that thing as being an existence and in a way i went looking for them you know, doing my own psychedelic exploration. And I was lucky enough and blessed enough never to actually see them. On the trip, I actually saw one um, just before I fell asleep one night when I was sober, funnily enough. Um, and I had this this vision, we'll call it. Um, and I mentioned this in the first video I ever created. And it was a very weird moment. It was just a moment. It was 10 seconds of a flash in my mind. You know, I'd always been a vivid dreamer. But this was something else. I didn't feel like this was a dream. I don't know what this was. You know, it, it felt as real as, as anything else. I was in a place which is extremely psychedelic, like like a DMT realm. And I realized I'm look. I looked up and I realized I'm looking up at this like 100 foot tall jester, basically. It was, um, but it was kind of melded into a wall and like its body was kind of half out of this wall and it was made of black and white lines. It's like black and white fractal line pattern. 
and then this big wide purple smile and these big glowing purple eyes and its skull was shaped like spider's legs but it, it wasn't wearing a hat or anything like it's it's just the way its skull was shaped like these legs were hanging down and curving around its face at all angles and that's just the way its its head was and I couldn't describe it as anything other than an insane, enormous, giant jester in front of me. It was terrifying, you know. It was so large, I could see these, from my perspective, these tiny little golden things flying around it, these little wisps of gold. But when I focused in on them, I realised they're not tiny, they're big vehicles that some entities are kind of driving around this beast, flying around it in like little golden vehicles of some kind that flew. Like, and it was like the centerpiece of this, of this realm. In just 10 seconds, I saw this thing and then bam, I'm back in my bedroom again. And I'm like, where did that come from? Like, I'm sat up straight. I'm like, what did I just see? And that was like the first thing that happened to me, which kind of, I put a pin in it, in my own consciousness. I was like, right, I'm going to put a pin in that, move on with my life. I don't know what that was, you know? And then as time went on, I'd kind of been do my research, you know, into the Nephilim angle. I've been doing into Gary Wayne's work and um, a lot of Rob Skeeper's work as well and things like that. And just a anyone and everyone that was talking about the Nephilim, I was there. I was listening along, taking notes. I was fascinated by it, you know, because um, it answered a lot of questions for me biblically, which I had issues with as, as someone who didn't believe in the Bible. You know, like, why would God send a flood? Um, why would God murder all these people, you know what I mean? And try and do all these genocides in the lands of Canaan. What was all this about? And the questions were being answered through the Nephilim narrative, um, which gave me a holistic picture of, of Christian history, which I didn't know about, which explained a lot of things which I knew were important. Like, this is important. There's something about this we have to understand, you know. And, you know, throughout my years of looking into secret societies, I, no I noticed the Shriners had clown factions. They were dressed like clowns and everyone had this. And I didn't think any anything of it then. Nothing to do with it. Again, just something that was in the back of my mind that I kind of knew about. Uh, so as time went on, suddenly in 2016, we had this phenomena where people were dressing up like clowns and scaring the hell out of people, just standing menacingly on street corners or in children's parks with a balloon wearing a scary clown mask and the media picked up on it and started telling that story about what was happening and then it spread over to Europe as well and it was happening everywhere but the, I noticed all the media was talking about it all the news channels the broadcast channels the programming was talking about it and that clicked because I already I was well versed in predictive programming methods psychological manipulation methods all that type of thing and and the art of predictive programming and I was big on psychology, so I knew I knew the art of persuasion and manipulation and NLP and all these type of things. And I said to myself, right, if they're showing it on TV, they want you to see it. It's important. It means something. So I, something compelled me. I don't know what it was. It was this experience with this vision of this giant jester, to seeing this clown-related things to secret societies happening quite regularly. Um, I also had a nightmare where I was being chased by some Hatman-like entity, which had a purple robe, flying ribbons. You know, that's, I have a whole video dedicated to explaining that trip. Um, I, I was just, I was just compelled to type into YouTube. I don't know what it was, but just Nephilim clown. Anything at all about this, you know? I pressed enter, and I found one video created by somebody who was making a mock. Um, like a history channel show 
um, talking about ancient aliens or something like that. It was like his mock version of that. He was making a joke parody video as though he was making a History Channel documentary about the Nephilim. And he wasn't being serious. He was 100% mocking Christians and their belief in the Nephilim. That's what he was doing, 100%. And he basically described the Nephilim as having pale white skin, red hair, double rows of teeth with a big wide smile, cannibalistic in nature. He was saying all this stuff. And he says there's only one conclusion. The Nephilim are interdimensional killer clowns from out of space. You know, and he showed like one of the images of a killer clown from out of space from the, the 80s film, you know, and... He basically just mocked this idea of the Nephilim, you know, the Nephilim are clowns, Christians who believe in this are idiots, you know, basically. Yeah. And even though he didn't realize it, he was saying something that was deeply true. Okay. You're correct, sir. And, and I rolled with it. I said, hang on, what did he just say? <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> and I started to make my own connections and looking into the history of all this. And, and I realized the clowns themselves, the modern version of a clown, is is a, is, a, is a symbol. It was an invent, purposefully invented symbol by secret societies to represent the spirits of the Nephilim. So they can then dress like the Nephilim in public without people realising it and evoke the spirit into our realm through the wearing of the outfit. And that's a practice followed by folk traditions all over the earth. Um, they call it ancestor worship and they will put on rituals where they will dress like the spirits with the sole intention of being possessed by them it's kind of like opening a gateway we're dressing like like a spirit creates a connection to the spirits and allows it to come into our world through you the vessel the medium it's what shamans do you know and it's why shamans all have a very similar dress garb with the big wide rimmed hats the ribbons the feathers and the big long trench coat they find they all actually wear the very a very same thing across all continents for that reason um and I, as I did some research into the history of all this, which we can get into, you know, it turns out, yeah, uh, the clown was purposefully invented in the 1800s, specifically by a Freemason called Charles Dibden. Um, he had hijacked the harlequinades and the pantomimes of British theatre and from the comedic art movements of Italy through Europe. And he had modernised the costumes at one point, and he had switched the main character to be the clown from the Harlequin. The Harlequin himself is, has roots in representing the wild man of Europe, which is a Nephilim demon. Um, but then that character got swapped with the clown. Then he did a costume change and dressed the clown how we know it is to be today. Prior to that, he was dressed in just normal servant uniform, nothing special. His character was just known as the clown, but he dressed in plain white robes, you know. But then it, it got changed into this colourful, psychedelic, serpentine-patterned, crazy, wild-haired look, you know. And then the clown himself, um, Joseph Grimaldi, invented the, the white face paint with the patterns and everything. And it's kind of like it was all kind of orchestrated to be invented and, and then popularised into theatre. And then from then on, that image of a clown was solidified as that's how clowns look, you know. And it's progressed into what we have today with the wild, crazy red head, wig, the midwig nose... Everything synonymous with, with the Nephilim is in within the symbol of a clown. And it's so subtle. It's so... You wouldn't know it unless you would bother to actually really dig deep into this type of thing. But then you, you look into secret societies and you realise all through Freemasonry is one thing. But once you go above Freemasonry and you reach the 33rd degree, you can become a Shriner. And there's 13 degrees to Shrining, but every faction of the Shrine has a clown faction where you have to dress like a clown. It's kind of like... 
That's weird in its own right until you understand what I'm talking about. These are the continuations of the serpent cults of the antediluvian age into the modern age. These are the, the societies that believe they had the occulted knowledge gifted to them from Cain and the fallen angels, the seven sacred sciences. They worship the Nephilim and work with the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. They commune with each other because they are the physical and spiritual foot soldiers of the Luciferian agenda. They work for the fallen angels, always have done, always will. And it's kind of like, it's their way of communicating with the spiritual soldiers. So the secret societies is kind of like the physical footmen who do the stuff in the physical world that forwards the Luciferian agenda. And then the Nephilim spirits in the spirit realm do their thing to forward the angelic agenda that, you know, they ha they'll have a boss above them. And this is just kind of their way of communicating. They, they dress like the clown to bring the, the spirit into our realm. And it's, it's so sinister because <laughs> the Shriners say it's for the kids. And they do it with children's hospitals, you know, and there's a whole lot to be said about the aspect that children are absolutely terrified of clowns. Studies have been done. Children don't like clowns. So who the hell said, oh, clowns are for children? At what point was that made a thing? You know, and you look at these people from like the, the 20th century who take their children to the circus and the children are screaming with tears and agony in their face and anguish at this clown. And the parents are just laughing like, ha, 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 ha. look at the clown, Johnny, isn't he cute and funny? And this child's just screaming and it's kind of like, oh, how sweet. You know, they don't, it's like the delusional, like they don't, they don't see the fear that is being induced by this clown. And it's kind of like, well, maybe that's the demon feeding off the energy it produces, you know, because the thing is a clown can produce either laughter or fear. And those are two extremely powerful emotions, I think, um, that are feeding demons in a way, because there's this idea that demons feed off negative energy. Uh, Jerry Marzinski has done a lot of uh, work on this idea. Um, you know, these demonic entities kind of loosh off of people's fear. They'll generate fear in somebody, then drain them of all that energy, and that person will just feel absolutely drained, like they, there's nothing left, you know, and they'll keep doing that to them and demonizing them to, to feed off that negativity. I think laughter does the same thing. I think it's ironic that the clown can be this symbol that can be both laughter in extreme forms or fear in extreme forms. It doesn't matter what it produces, the medium wearing the costume is still going to feed the demon either way, whatever it produces in its victim or its clients, let's say, you know, whoever paid to see the thing. And yeah, yeah. so that's, that's the clown theory in a nutshell. That's kind of how I got there and a bit of a random rant and a few extra thoughts about the thing. But um, we can we can get deep into other subjects if you, if you know anything about the clown theory or I can just keep riffing. It's up to you. Uh, honestly, dude, like that was, that was perfect. And I, like a good example um, how... It, this goes much deeper than what people think is when you get into other uh, regions of the world and other cultures and find that there are actually clowns depicted or, you know, worshipped or talked about within their own writings and their own culture. Like if you, uh, I think I, I listened to one of your episodes on um, tinfoil hat mm -hmm. and you got into the Wajina. Yeah. Can you, can you tell everybody what the Wajina is a little about? Because that, that one was one for me because I saw the pictures too and I was like, wow, man, that's exactly like a clown. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it ties into the serpent. I picked the Wangina because it's specifically the most obvious one. Yeah. Um, I thought that'd be good for a podcast like Sam Tripoli just to make the point clear. Um, but the, the fact is you go to every culture around the world and they all have these ancestor spirit worship rituals where they have either a shaman a specifically selected group of people or even all of them dress in a specific way and they have the sole intention of being possessed by the spirits and they call them ancestor spirits but they're not talking about 
your cousins or your grandmas or granddads or great aunties or uncles. That's not what they mean when they say ancestor. They're talking about the, the creators of their civilization, ancient ancestors. That's what they mean. They're referring to the Nephilim, the Nephilim kings who created their culture. And their cultures are usually centered around um, nature worship, sun worship, pantheonistic deity worship, or some kind of weird hybrid um, animistic culture where they worship objects of some kind. I don't, it's, it's bizarre. Um, but it's never God. It's never the one creator that these cultures have. Um, now, the Wanginas, uh, specifically, they, they are something that are painted on the rocks of Aborigine art in um, in, in Australia. Uh, I think it's Western Australia, specifically. Uh, now, what you'll find is that the Aborigines claim not to have made them. They didn't paint these things. These were left there by the beings themselves called the Wangina. It's believed that when the Wanginas physically died, they went to a cave to die and they painted a portrait of themselves on the wall. That's that's how all of them ended up there. And if you look at the image of a Wangina painting, it's literally a white-faced, round white face with two big glowing blue eyes, um, a big red nose in the middle, and a huge red halo around the white face. It's literally a stereoprototypical circus clown. And the outfit they were also has a big white collar, which circus clowns also wear, which is the ruffle, has the same thing. And its costume is red with polka dots, red and white with polka dots, which is the, the stereotypical clown outfit. And it's almost as though the Freemasons who are traveling men who invented the symbol of a clown saw this rock artwork and just made it into their caricature, which we call a clown in the West. They just added it, you know, and that's in Western media. That's the typical clown you will see the most. And it's like they were directly just copying, copy-pasting the work of these Aboriginal, this artwork on these rocks, you know. And it's because that's what they did. They travelled the world. They knew what these folk traditions did when they represented the Nephilim in their traditions. They all called them something different. They all had different names for them. They all have their own aesthetical, stylistic choice of way of representing them. But the themes were always the same. Some kind of wild, feathery red hair of some kind, or headdress. Uh, they always put white makeup on their face to make their skin as pale as possible. They add multicolored patterns and fractals all over their skin or polka dots. It's very common. Um, they would also make it as though the mouth is either incredibly wide or they have no mouth at all. Um, red nose paint is also extremely common as well. And wild, crazy colored, fractaled, psychedelic patterned clothing. I'm describing a clown, but I'm also describing every single folk tradition vaguely there because they all have their own stylistic choice of doing the exact same thing. It's because they're all venerating the same beings, the beings they believe are the creators of their civilization, because the Nephilim were kings and rulers when they were on the earth. They were the creators of all of civilization at one point. They were the focal points of all the myths. They were all the heroes of old. They were the ones that people worshipped and venerated and looked up to and made artwork about. And these folk traditions are oral traditions that never changed. They were passed down right through to the modern age. They never changed the way they looked. So there were a glimpse into the ancient past when the Nephilim were still around being emulated, being worshipped, being venerated. So there's this idea of um, headboarding, for example, where they would crush the infant's skull to make it as elongated as they can from birth. And they would put it in this weird wooden board contraption where they squashed the skull between it, you know? And well, what they were trying to do is be like something that they considered a standard of beauty yeah. or power and what they're mimicking are the things that were the kings and rulers at one point the nephilim who had elongated skulls wide sharp features like a serpent you know 
Um, and people don't like never. I've noticed if you go to like a mainstream article on things like cradle boarding or any form of body manipulation like that, which is just bizarre, they never hit the point of why. They always just talk about how beautiful it is, how cultural and significant it is, how sad it is the practice is dis- disappearing, but they never say why they do it. They go, it's a standard of beauty. People think it's beautiful to look like that. Why? They never touch it because they don't know. They're either stupid and ignorant, haven't got a clue why, or they just don't want to accept the truth that there's something around that looked like that that they want to copy because they believe being like that will make me powerful and sexy and special just like they are. It's no different than celebrity worship today, dressing like your favourite celebrity, following their styles and their attitudes and what they do and how they do. That's what they did then. It's their form of celebrity worship. But the heroes of old were these giants that ruled over them with a with a cruel, vindictive iron fist. You know, they were cannibalistic in nature. They were vicious. They were full of pride and hubris, you know, and you couldn't stand up against them because you're just this, this tiny little thing, you know, who will stand against them type of thing. But this is what all these cultures do. And even today, even though the Nephilim aren't around anymore, you're seeing echoes into these rituals that never changed, you know, and they still communicate with the spirits of the beings who created their world, the Nephilim, you know, as far as they're concerned in their small myopic little closed off circuits of, of, you know, society, their little culture, the world never changed for them and the Nephilim are still their kings and gods and rulers, even though they're dead, you know, and they still try to communicate with them regularly through the invocation and they do it by dressing like them and they all have some kind of clown feature somewhere. So what I'm saying is that the traveling men of the world, the Freemasons of the time, of that era of 1800s, you know, they were the only ones who could travel. They had the money to, the power to. And they have this idea of, you know, they travel in the East before coming back to the West, where they go to the East to gain knowledge before bringing it back to the West. And it's all a part of their ascension progress through the levels of Freemasonry, you know, and they have these phrases they used to say to each other to identify one each other as a Freemason. They would say, are you a traveling man? And the Freemasons would say, well, I spent some time in the East, but now I'm back in the West. And that would symbolize I've completed my training. You know, I've come full circle. And I've, you know, but then they have other answers to it. But they believed Eastern theology and ideologies and patterns and mysticism were would connect them to their gods, which were the Nephilim themselves, you know. And that's where they probably picked up a lot of these images, these symbols, these practices while studying these cultures. And they would say, well, okay, well, they dress like that, they dress like this, they dress like that. Let's take bits of each culture and let's put it together into our own symbol for the Nephilim. We'll call it the clown, you know, and we'll co-opt the Camille Arts movement because it's entertainment. And these people run the entertainment industries. They always have done. How can we get our symbol for our gods, the demons, the Nephilim, to a wide audience? And how can we get the people to venerate the Nephilim without realising it and give power to the Nephilim? Well, we'll make it the clown of these most popular theatre shows of the time, the Harlequinades. And there you go. People are now going to physically pay to see somebody representing a demon and channeling it on stage and venerating the demon, you know? And the clown then eventually, the comedian, the clown, the jester, the joker has become synonymous with our society. It's so ingrained into it that people worship it in in its own way without realising it, you know? Um, And the idea of the irreverence fool or the irreverent jester who breaks down all the societal norms and kind of mocks everything about creation is, is, is epitomizing this image of a clown so not only the attitude of a clown is rebellion 
and pride and sin and gluttony and excess you know everything which is goes against god in its own right but the image of it itself is nothing but a caricature drawing of nephilim-esque features so let's which get very luciferian in that in that regard yeah. because you're you're giving in to hedonism exactly um, I guess there would be no difference to that than, as I've heard you speaking in many of your videos, uh, to as well, Paul, the modern representations of, uh, of, of, of clowns, whether it's uh, it yeah. uh, with Stephen King or whether it's um, uh, kind of like uh, the pushing of Huggy Wuggy <laughs> or the pushing of, um, if you can't believe I'm drawing a Blake, you know, like uh, Freddie Fazbear. Uh, is as well too, uh, kind of pushing um, modern day, which I've covered a lot of this through Elsagate, uh, and you cover. You talked a lot about it too in your Huggy Wuggy video about the pushing of the clowns and clowning and circuses uh, to kids on YouTube uh, with in, you know inappropriate you know fetishizing and vaccinations and, and various uh, things within the videos that are being pushed to kids where Snopes is like, well, that's not what they're they're doing. And it's like, well, no, obviously that's what they're doing. I mean, if anybody has eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, you know, that you would see that. But there are a lot of people out there, uh, who, like you mentioned, through some sort of maybe spiritual uh, deadness uh, or some sort of mind control that they just don't realize it. Uh, that this is a bad thing for their kids to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all the conditioning. I, yeah, because I police, you know, what my kids watch, and um, and uh, I, I, you know, when I was, you know, letting my son and as he got older look at YouTube, I caught on that quite, you know, I was watching what he's watching, right? And so it only took a video or two, and I was like, well, well wait a minute, <laughs> you know, this is not nothing you should be looking at, uh, you know, and and and, it, and so I mean, even even when I was a new ager, it was still I was looking. I was like, wait, no, this is this is wrong, uh, you know. Um, and so it's just interesting now of how they're pushing that uh, to the masses to get them to try to accept it. And it's no different of how it was in the 1800s. And you could even argue, you know, bread and circuses, um, the Roman Colosseum times, or the um, the plays of the Shakespearean times. You know, where you'd have court jesters, right? You would have king jesters during the Shakespearean plays be the ones that tell the truth, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the jesters were the ones who brought the truth to the masses that were able to make fun of the king and to expose the king, right? When in reality, even corrupt kings, God has placed into power, uh, you know, sometimes for chastisement of a wicked people, uh, you know? And so it's interesting to see that this has continued on I mean, your body of work, you know, has showed, you know, the theory that you have that the Nephilim look like clowns, you know, it, it's something that's gone through throughout human history. Like, it's something that keeps being replicated over and over and over again. It does ebb and flow of how pronounced it gets in a civilization. And maybe now with the internet, we're reaching an apex that's never been seen as far as the exposure to demonic elements through the internet, right? But, you know, and then, you know, as you talk about the Freemasons and Freemasonry and modern clowning comes from it, uh, something that, you know, Jesse and you had spoke of is is, is the, the Royal Order of the Jesters. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, that would be through the Shriners and how they're very secretive. They claim they're a very charitable organization and they give to good causes, you know, at like children's hospitals, if you have the Shriners, children's hospitals. But at the same time, they're not really seen very much and not a lot of them uh, really 
is known about them. And then you have, you know, the prostitute scandal and the human trafficking scandal and the allegations that they're very much involved in very sort things at these world of the order justice parties. And that, you know, even, you know, like I mentioned with Shakespeare earlier, well, they, they have homages and shrines to Shakespeare in their meeting halls, uh, you know, and so it's like, okay, well, what, you know, if, if they didn't, if it is either all a big joke, which I don't think it is, or there's something do this. They're honoring Lucifer through, you know, creation's a joke, God's a joke, everything's a joke, and through heathenism, um, I mean, it, it is ultimate do what thou wilt mentality, you know. And I think I think your work shows that um, that it's still replicating even in our modern era today, right? Well, if, if you go back, let's go back to what you said at the start about the Roman circus. Um, obviously, the Roman circuses were like circular coliseum type um, things where chariot races would happen and entertainment would happen. Now, in between races that, to entertain the crowd, they had their clowns, but they were more bumbling fool characters, okay? Uh, I think they were known as things like the Sanio, I think is what they called them then. Um, now, when the collapse of Rome happened in the 5th century, um, and obviously there was like a bunch of Greek Roman actors that were kind of out of work in a sense, because <laughs> obviously the Roman circuses were no longer been putting on in terms of the performances. And you would find that the, these actors, these fools, these jesters, these clowns were, would band together and form troops, which would then travel over through Europe, putting on performances and shows, which would then obviously that's how they get the money. That's how they make their living. And this would become known as the comedial art movements out of Italy, which was Rome, obviously. Um, and they went through France and basically up as far as Moscow. They went to everywhere. You know, they traveled far and wide, putting on these shows in Europe. And they developed these stock characters, these the, known as the, the zany characters. Um, and there was all sorts of characters involved, uh, a soldier, a servant, a rich master, his slave, his daughter, uh, just kind of characters that were stereotypes of people of the age, of societal hierarchies and norms. They'd have these stock characters, they would call them. And one of the main zanies was Harley Quinn, who was the servant of the rich man. And Harley Quinn was basically the, the proto-jester, okay? But he was actually specifically based um, from a character earlier known as Arlecchino through Italian, um, obviously this comedic art movement that came out of Italy, Arlecchino. And I think it seems like he, he kind of developed after they travelled a while. I think they learned a lot about this, this tradition that Europeans had all over Europe called the wild man. Uh, and you'll see it everywhere, all over Europe, uh, mainly in Eastern Europe. They have um, festivals today called the Cookery, which are dedicated to the wild man venerations, where they dress like Nephilim, basically big, hairy Nephilim, giants and monsters with big teeth, bulging eyes, covered in hair. Um, and Harley Quinn or Harley Chino is based off a specific French version of the, of the wild man image, who is called Helikins. And Helikins is described as this tall green man type giant um, with a big club over his shoulder. And he had a band of demons that would follow him from town to town, causing uh, chaos, basically. But even that idea is based off of Dionysus, the giant god-like man who would have a band of merry demons or fawns and meonads who would follow him from town to town, bringing merriment and revelry and sin, basically. So it's a highly demonized version of this Dionysus story coming out, obviously highly Christianized med medieval Europe at the time. Um, so fundamentally, Harley Quinn is literally based off a Nephilim demon called Helikins, who is a giant. That's literally where Harley Quinn comes from. That is his role. And he would play the role of the de demon in the plays originally. He would um, 
have a sharp, evil, spiteful wit about him, you know, and he would be witty and fast and sharp, and he would um, slap the stick and change the scene. He had magical powers, you know, he was kind of outside of the play, but within the play. He was the fourth wall breaker, you know. He was the symbol of the demonic, of the magic, of everything to do with, with basically demons. It was his embodiment. Um, and that was him. That was fundamentally who Harlequin was. And then as, as the years went on, uh, we're going out of the 16th century into the 17th, into the 18th, um, Harlequin changed and he became softer, became more foolish, less wit, not as sharp. He started to become more of just the, the love interest of the rich man, um, Columbine, the daughter, you know, and he'd be the doting fool trying to get with the daughter, you know, and then the clown, the other servant, would kind of be the foil, you know, would get in his way and try and stop him from getting with the girl and all this type of stuff. And um, he would lose his Satanism, you know, he would lose that edge, you know. Um, and then in the 1800s, um, Joseph Grimaldi popularized the clown so much in the modern British versions of the Harlequinades that the clown would take over the Harlequin basically, and he became the lead character in these shows where the Harlequin was originally the lead, and the clown took on the role that Harlequin originally had. He was the the sharp-witted demon character once more. So the clown swapped with the Harlequin and became the Harlequin's original character, and then there was this costume change where the clown was made to look a lot more like the wild man, which the Harlequin originally looked like, because the Harlequin's original form of dress was white clothing, multicolored patchworks all over his thing with a black mask with a horn on it. Um, Harlequin's outfit changed into a diamond pattern shape with a, a kind of like a sailor's hat. Um, and obviously, the new clown outfit which was created looked a lot like the original Harlequin's outfit, which was the patchwork wild man, um, the demon outfit, basically. So it's kind of like the clown replaced the Harlequin and became the Harlequin's role. So the clown and the Harlequin are one in the same character. They both specifically represent a demon it's 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 not even like metaphorical it's literal like that's literally what they're supposed to represent and then that kind of got forgot as the circuses came around and it just became a kind of like a symbol of um the kind of like the bumbling fool again you know that's kind of how the clown became again into the modern era this image of a bumbling fool um for the kids, but I do believe that was just a way of creating invocation rituals using the circus as a platform. Because the original circuses that came about came out of Britain, first of all. It was equestrian shows where this general would put on horse shows, um, basically were going around a circle constantly doing tricks on the back of horses. Um, and then that idea got kind of popularised in America, and then Freemasons created the first circuses. Barnum and Bailey's show, um, the Ringling Bros, that are the most famous um, but you'll find it was basically basically Freemason-affiliated groups who would create the first circuses. And they were put on a, a huge combined show effort, all these Freemasons, which was called um, King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And they would tell the story of, of obviously, the, the, the Goetia, the demons, and the Queen, you know, all that type of stuff would be told through this circus performance. And it was described by Freemasons of the time as witnessing their sacred rituals which they would normally see in the halls that they have their little covens on the grand scale you know so i believe that's why the clown was co-opted as a symbol so it could be used in these giant rituals which would normally be performed inside the um i'm blanking on the name of the places freemasons go the halls i think they're called the freemason halls so they would normally be put on in, on a small scale now they're on a massive scale with the public watching as well these invocation rituals 
and they have the characters dressed up like clowns, which are the Nephilim. So the circus itself is just a giant ritual. Literally, um, so the ringmaster wears the top hat, wears the, the, the long overcoat, has the cane. Um, he is basically the worshipful grandmaster of the Freemason Lodge. It's the same character from the Freemason Lodge ritual. That's what he would wear. Only the worshipful grandmaster is allowed to wear a top hat in a Freemason Lodge. No one else can. And the, the ringleader of the circus is the hat man. The top hat wearing yeah. ringleader is yeah. orchestrating the ritual. Then he has his Freemasons all around him who would then do the rituals at his behest and his control. But in the circus format, it's the clowns. They dress like clowns instead. You know, and it's just a way of literally putting on huge rituals that bring demons into the world. <laughs> That's literally what it is. But to the public, it's a fun spectacle for the kids. To the unwashed uninitiated masses it's entertainment it's a bit of fun it's something to do but to the people who created it it's a deadly serious ritual deadly serious and that's how clowns are no, not really a laughing matter you know that's where clowns come from the origin story to the modern age and the the symbol of a clown never changed it's just become more and more trivialized as time has gone on and then we've seen with the modern advent of modern media the evil clown stereotype has become a thing in movies and films, but it's kind of redundant because they always were, if you get what I mean. It's just now they're being externalised and they're telling you clowns are evil. Clowns represent the embodiment of the demon, of the, of the wild man, you know. So something like it, for example, is a perfect embodiment of a disembodied Nephilim spirit. First of all, it's a shapeshifter demon spider monster of some kind. Um, the Nephilim themselves were shape-shifting, hybridized, weird creatures, you know, it, it, and it has this form of a clown. I mean, first of all, what, what does it do? It, uh, it feeds off the fear of children to gain itself more power and strength into the physical realm. Well, we know that demons use fear as a means of feeding themselves. It's literally saying you know, clowns are demons, demons are clowns are the same thing. Um, I think the, the dress, the, it becomes a clown because it knows that that is what the child is scared of in order to specifically get the fear from the child. I think that's what it is. Um, but I mean, it's one thing. It's a bit on the nose, to be honest, you know, <laughs> with evil clown demon symbolism. Um, if you go and want to watch something a bit more kind of subtle, in 2015, a film came out called Cloyne, uh, called Cloyne or Clown. I think it was just called Clown, but it was about a man who needed a costume for his daughter's birthday party. He finds, finds a clown costume in the attic. He puts the clown costume on, entertains his daughter, tries to take off the costume at the end of the day. He can't remove it, no matter what he does. It's stuck to his skin. Turns out he's put on the skin of an ancient demon called a cloin. And now he is possessed by the demon. In order to take off the costume, he has to eat five children. So another definitive link there in modern media that clowns are literally demons. Demons literally looks like clowns and they possess people to this day. <laughs> Maybe not as obvious as putting on their skin, but that's what the, the role they're still playing in society today through possession. Dressing like a clown will make you be possessed by the spirit of a Nephilim. That's what that film is directly telling you. And also it's explaining their nature. They were cannibalistic. They ate children and humans. You know, it's all there in a film to see in terms of symbolism. The externalization, of, the externalization of the hierarchy, if you want to call it predictive programming of some kind, but they, they tell you now out in the open 
clowns are literally representations of demons, which is why it was so easy for me today to stop pointing it out, I think, through my theory, which is why I think it rings so true for so many people as well. And which is why I think the 2016 clown sightings were no accident. There was, if the media was pointing it out to you, look at all these people dressed like clowns. It's like they were trying to explain to you the Nephilim spirits are going to become a lot more prominent from now on. You're going to see a lot more of the Nephilim from now. We are going to make them return. In Revelations, it says, you know, as it, well, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The pit will open up. The, the Nephilim will return. I don't, know, I don't know exactly in what form. Maybe through some transhumanist means. I'm pretty sure they're working on ways to get them back here physically. Uh, maybe it is through literal mass possession. I, I don't know exactly, but the spirits will return. I think that was the first hint in the media. So what the media did was use the symbol of a clown. So those who know what that symbol means, the initiated, could see the message. Ah, the Nephilim. I see a clown, Nephilim. They know that. You know, that's that, that's their symbol. We don't. We don't know what that means, but they see on the news. And it's a message of some kind. It was telling them something. Oh, now's our time. Now's our time to push the agenda forward for the Nephilim to return. Something like that was happening. And what happened since 2016? Well, the advent of the meme in the collective psyche of humanity was clown world. We're suddenly living in clown world. And that symbol was everywhere with Pepe as well. And that, and it's kind of everyone knows we live in clown world now. You know? <laughs> what does that mean? I became president in 2016. Oh, yeah. Everything changed you know? from that period, yeah. didn't it? It's like... Clown was a symbol heralding in the demonic, you know, and I do believe it, Helena Blavatsky wrote that in 2025 is when she intends to have the externalization of the hierarchy. And Liz Bailey mentioned that as well too. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, um, and I think I think that was the the symbol to say the demonic are coming back, guys. It's time for us to open the portals. You know, I think that's what was going. It's on. funny too because it's almost like that that event in 2016 also sparked that fear in people about clowns again because for a while they're so watered down you know what mm -hmm. i mean like it was pretty well watered down and then in 2016 it was all over the news it was all over the place for a couple weeks and it really brought back that fear that clowns once gave yeah if they put it in the media they want you want you to see it if they put it on the news they want you to see it as far as i'm concerned yeah. if it's on that box it's there on purpose, yep. you know, and you can't, everything's a symbol. Everything's like their language is symbols. That's all the clown is. It's a symbol. It's a symbol they have created to represent something very specific. Their gods, the Nephilim. Um, and again, that's, I'm talking about quite mainstream popular cultural stuff here. But in terms of, again, if you go to ancient cultures all around the world, they've always dressed like clowns to venerate their ancestors. They've always done it. It's just not been a part of the Western culture. The Western's version of it is what we call a clown. And we don't know that's what we do when we dress like a clown. So, I mean, if you look at the phenomena of people who have dressed like clowns in history, you have the performers, obviously, who are beloved. And maybe not all of them know what they're doing. But there's this common reoccurring story happening lately where people who have dressed like clowns are start doing heinous things. Clown serial killers, you know, um, things like that. And it seems like... Whenever Satanism or demons are involved, they in some way clown themselves up or add a clown-like feature to themselves in some bizarre way. You know, I was reading about a murderer who uh, murdered a woman in a motel um, in America, not maybe five years ago, maybe not that long ago. Um, and he himself had the, his mouth tattooed to look wider with a black rim. And he has since put the, uh, the big black slits down the eyes and he's made himself look more and more clownish as possible. He's murdered another man in prison since, ripped the guy to pieces, 
and wore like pieces of his body around his neck as a necklace before the guards came in and found out what he did to him. He's an open Satanist. He's he worships Satan and he says, and what has he done? But put clown imagery all over him in forms of tattoos. Why? If you're a Satanist who worships demons, why have you leaned towards clown imagery? What's the purpose? You know, um, there was a woman who in in the UK who stabbed her 19 year old lover about seven times. Um, dressed like a clown and she knew purposefully he was scared of clowns but she did it anyway and then pinned him down and while trying to have sex with him made him cover his face up with a pillow and once he covered his face up she stabbed him so bizarre that this clown thing is linked with it you know what i mean um there's loads of stories that recently a guy very recently in the news my, my wife sent me this he i think he works at a school he has a clown fetish and he was making his students dress like clowns right that's pretty messed up you know what i mean it's like why is this that was in the news recently yeah yeah what what is going on professor i think exactly Um, we're seeing a lot of this another one as well um uh very recently got exposed in extreme uh let's call it a map individual to try and avoid the algorithm but (laughs) somebody who was heavily into minors um, has been exposed online recently and he goes by the name of the giggly goon clown and he has this entire personality about being this this heinous clown character this persona he created and he has been caught and exposed for doing literally the worst possible things human beings can do like it gets worse and worse the more you look into what this character has done what he's encouraged other people to do and it's like as soon as the demonic is involved so is clown imagery the synonymous with you know, john wayne gacy right exactly serial killer and he was a clown and he was a Freemason. Exactly. Yeah, this is what I mean. They're, they're, they're just synonymous with each other. Like I said, in, in terms of like if Freemasons know what they're doing, you know, and, and the shrine is specifically venerate the clown by dressing like them regularly, then you have this royal order of the jesters. And get this, you have to be a, a full-fledged member and higher member of the um, Shriners before you can be invited to be a jester. <laughs> you have to have gone through the whole shebang before you can get even invited, invite only, to be a part of the Royal Order of the Jesters. So it's implying the Jester, the clown, is above Freemasonry. <laughs> like, it is the god of it all. It's it's way up there, you know, it's the pinnacle of the hierarchy in that respect. That's such a bizarre symbol to have as as the pinnacle of your pyramid, but not until you understand my theory. It all makes perfect sense. They are, I mean, I haven't even described how... The Nephilim are representations of the of of clowns. I mean, do you want me to break it down so we can get into that? Do it. Yeah. So first of all, you have to understand. And normally, when I do these talks, I break down biblical history first. But I think if I do that now, we'll be going on forever. So I'm going to highly summarize it. Um, the seraphim angels who mated with human women, as discussed in Enoch and in Genesis six, they were serpentine-looking creatures. Other cultures called them feathered serpents. For example, outside of biblical canon, they're always referred to as serpent-like beings. In Australia, the creators of the Wanginas, the clown-like entities, they were the rainbow serpents, heavenly entities that came from the sky. Snakes, basically. Flying snakes. Dragons. Okay, whatever you want to call them, that's the seraphim angels. They're the ones who mated with human women. Cain's, Cain's, the daughters of Cain, specifically, are the ones who did that. They're the ones who rebelled against God's creation and offered themselves up to mate with the fallen angels to further corrupt God's creation. That was the point of it all. It seems like the mark of Cain may have been incredibly pale white skin. 
from what I'm looking into my research. I could be wrong. There's many speculations about that, but it does fit in with my theory. So in terms of speculation, I think it's worthy to take on board as a possibility. The source for that is from the Book of Lamech of Cain, um, which is an, a, a very recently released book from the Vatican. So take it all with a pinch of salt. But Lamech, from the lineage of Cain, specifically says in that book, the mark of his people from Cain, his leprous white skin. Now that would make sense because the base of a clown is white skin, deathly ghost white skin. Now it's probably a trait that the Nephilim would have had picked up from the lineage through the human side, through the daughters of Cain who would have had leprous white skin. Mix that with a fiery serpent, which are these psychedelic beings from heaven, these seraphim angels, where you get something akin to what a clown looks like as a base. You know, you get a white face skinned thing with a huge, wide, grimaced mouth, elongated, pointy features like a dragon, like a serpent, like a viper, mixed with human features like big, wide, red lips, eyelids, ears, freaky stuff. You know what I mean? Hair, actual hair, which, you know, serpents don't have hair. These ones had feathers from the looks of it, but the humans, the Nephilim had hair, which was bright red, fiery, you know, a bizarre, unnatural, unhuman colour. The big wide grin is because snakes can open their jaws incredibly wide. They had that to get it from their parents, from their fathers. So that's why, you know, the base of a Nephilim, it literally is pale white skin, bright red hair. That is the base of a clown. That's, that's basically it. They literally looked like clowns with big wide smiles by nature of the serpentine features mixed in with human features. And then the, the psychedelic clothing of a clown, let's say, as a archetypical symbol, it's probably representative of the psychedelic nature and the skin of their own skin. The Nephilim had serpentine features. Reptiles, snakes, are incredibly psychedelic looking things. They're not bland creatures. They're incredibly colourful with insane patterns, like bright creatures, multicoloured patterns and psychedelic forms all over their bodies. Have you seen them? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Have you seen the underbelly of a basic like uh, corn snake? It's a black and white checkered pattern. It's insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, this is what I mean. But nature has a very psychedelic coloured palette, you know, and that's the Nephilim too would have had their bodies probably were covered in patterns, polka dots even, you know, whatever it was, some kind of serpentine weird hybrid pattern was all over their skin. Clown clothing, I believe, represents that nature. That's the point of it, to represent the psychedelic skin that they would have had inherited from their parents. The neck ruffle of a clown. You think it's to represent aristocracy of the day. That's probably the esoteric version of the story they'll tell you. They're mocking the rich people, the pompous people of the time. But actually, um, reptiles have a frill around their neck. Some of them do. And it's the same thing. It's a reptilian frill wrapped around the neck. Uh, the most famous example of this was probably shown in Jurassic Park when the reptile opened its thing up and spat in the face of one of the people. That was hinting, you know, that reptiles can have a frill. But there is a perfect example of that in Australia. There is literally a lizard that has a big giant floppy frill around its neck. It can open up at will. Uh, so reptiles do have frills. Clowns also have a neck frill. It's just a symbol to represent a reptilian feature. That's all these clown clothing items are. Um, clowns have big, big shoes because giants have big feet. Clowns have exaggerated sized gloves that make their hands look big because giants have big hands. Or they'll have a tiny hat because they're huge and hats are small on them, or they'll have a tiny umbrella because they're giants and umbrellas are tiny to them. You know, it's it's all just a, a joke or a reference to their height and their size and the way they look. Uh, clowns are often bold in the middle and have an elongated um, brow ridge 
up here to show that they have a, a much wider, longer skull than the average human because the Nephilim had big, long skulls, which we found examples of in Paracas and all over the Earth, but it, mainly Inca examples of the most prominent. But elongated skulls is a strictly Nephilim feature. Um, the red nose, there's many theories as to why they had red noses, but um, the first theory that I came up with is it's just they were eating blood, so the nose dipped into it. It was always red from the cannibalistic nature. But I think that's too simplistic. I don't think that's what it probably was. From my research, I think they literally had red noses. Um, and I think it's actually a side effect of having incredibly pale skin. I think they had extreme rosacea to the point where they developed rhinophimus, which is a version of extreme rosacea. It's actually a part of the curse, uh, the curse of the Celts, which is something. You get a very bulbous nose too, as well, when that occurs, right? A very swollen, extremely swollen, very bulbous very nose. nose. But I think it's just a, a curse of actually being incredibly pale. It's just something that can happen if you have that condition. And most of the Celts get it a lot from alcoholism. Well, actually, actually, it's a myth. There's no link. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, thought it was, I, I thought it was as far as yeah. like, attributing alcoholism. It's, it's one, is also tied to gut issues and genetic it, factors as well. It's 100% genetic, the rhinophyma. It's nothing to do with alcoholism at all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the stigma that it's to do with drinking too much is actually a lie. It could happen to anybody who has this re regressive gene in them. Just like yeah. people get hemochromatosis, like possibly myself, <laughs> you know, could have this regressive gene in them. It's just the reason it happens. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You'll get a or you won't um, but it's prominent in people who have incredibly pale skin now the nephilim had the palest skin so i think most of them probably developed this this issue um and you would look at people with rhinophimus and they are big bulbous red noses that is it and i think that's probably the case but there is another theory um the there's a tribe in north america who were constantly battling with giants the city cards they called them and the CT car would scalp the giants and keep the hair as a, as kind of this big red mane, as like a, a special gift, like a, a keepsake, and they would make robes out of them. And they would call them, they would call them something like ceremonial robes or something, or mourning robes, that's what they would call them. And um, she was describing the, uh, the encounters with these things, and she describes them as the noseless ones. So it's possible the red nose is symbolic of them not having a nose, just having a big gaping red hole there instead. Because her ancient tribe supposedly battled with these red-haired, pale-skinned giants, has this name for them, the Noseless Ones. It's such a bizarre name, you know, and maybe that is the case that some of them, it looks like they have a big red hole in the middle of the face. So that's another possible reason for the red nose. Whatever it is, it's a symbol for the giants. It's not just a funny thing to honk, you know, which is in the modern day understanding of it. It's, it's literally a representation of what they would have looked like back in the day. And you often see clowns that have a, a, a black line going down the eyes on each side. That's a reptilian slit. They have reptilian features. They also had reptilian eyes, which have a, a line rather than a round pupil. You'll often find the high brow ridge that they paint on them in black is coloured in blue. If they close their eyes, it looks like they have big blue glowing eyes because that's exactly a feature of the Nephilim. They were said to be the glowing ones by nature of having giant blue glowing eyes not humanoid at all big bulging horrible looking things bug-eyed in nature um clowns are often seen wearing stilts to emphasize their height again to show that they are giants in symbolic terminology everything about a clown is a representation a caricature an over-the-top grotesque imagery metaphor simile for the giants everything about it and it's, it's by design 
But I mean, not just about the clowns thing, but in general, I, it's this is all making me think of like uh, the Nazis and the Aryan race. Of, you know, pale white skin, bright blue eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, also you can jump over to the what the people would call the Nordics or the Palladians, who yeah. also are supposedly real blue eyes, pale white skin, beautiful looking people. You know, obviously these are probably the fallen angels, but you know you everything you're saying i can i can picture different um what would be the word for it? representations yeah different representations that kind of all break down that can go back to the nephilim and the, and the clown um subject that you're talking about now like uh, and this might not be connected and you can correct me if i'm wrong but like in alaska um there's a lot there's a tribe in northern alaska right that has tales of fighting off giants and stuff like this but in alaska you also see these these statues that are very very colorful and mostly depicted as like a kind of like serpentine like um i don't know what they're called but you can look them up online but i don't know if any of you know what they're called but they're like these statues in uh alaska and they're very very col colorfully painted and a lot of them are in serpentine like features um yeah i've heard about them and also i guess one thing uh paul too is is um um uh, it's isaiah right that talks about the seraphim too as well as is kind of being uh fiery and having wings and having a serpentine like um uh, appearance too as well right i think it's like isaiah five or six yeah uh, yeah the most the most exact description we found of what a nephilim specific sorry an angel specifically looks like was actually from the book of amran found in the Qumran cave with the dead sea scrolls um and i think it was amran the father of moses i, I forget this um he's a relative of one of the major plays in the bible anyway he has a vision where he sees basically um lucifer and michael together a good angel a bad angel you know and then um, he says belial he calls him which is another name for, for lucifer and for satan um literally had the face of an adder like so we know that he was a seraphim we know he was right next to god so that's the biggest hint that the seraphim angels were literally looked like vipers they looked like snakes like the face looked like a snake um i think i remember gary wayne talking about that one time yeah yeah that, that's the that's the um, the biggest direct description we have of the facial features of the fallen angels of lucifer specifically who is a serpent um well you know the whole point of the fallen angels and you know, the serpent's bloodline gary wayne talks a lot about is because of that nature that's that's the point you know yeah. and um the serpent cults have continued all the way down to today People, you know, who were in positions of power in secret societies and rulership believe they have serpent blood in them. That's the divine right to rule, not by God's nature of divinity, but by the fact that they are part divine being. They are part angel. They have serpent blood in them, gifted to them from the heavens, from the angels, you know, from Lucifer himself. Um, so that that's the whole point of it. That's why they are dragon cults. That's why snake symbolism is rife in the occult. That's the whole point of it. it. It all goes back to just the serpent-like nature. Not all angels were serpent-like, don't get me wrong. I think Ezekiel describes cherubim as being like the living creatures and they had heads of lions and goats and all sorts of things mashed together, you know. Human uh, heads well, too. Yeah. Um, which, uh, I, mean. I guess, what the, you mentioned snakes. Uh, the ancient symbol of the tribe of Dan uh, actually was uh, a serpent. It might be something you might want to look into. Uh, because the tribe of Dan, of course, is removed in Revelation, right, as one of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. Uh, but kind of like their ancient symbol was a uh, was a serpent. 
Um, and of course, you know, you have the, the, the Danites, you know, mentioned in the book as well, too, Samson being one. You can almost say the book of Judges being the book of Danites. Um, but that's something you might want to look into is that their um, the ancient symbol of, of the Danites was a serpent. I'm reading a quote here from Genesis 49. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider stumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this myself, but uh, yeah, it does seem like Dan has been synonymous with the symbol of a serpent. That is interesting. Yeah, it might be something you might want to look into. I find it interesting too, as well. I'm not going to go on a tangent on the Tribe of Dan right now. I've been doing a lot of research. <laughs> the Tribe of Dan with my friend Aaron Bachman for Underground Publishing uh, and my research partner S90. But um, but uh, I just thought, you know, since we're talking about serpents and, and kind of talking about um, the Tribe of Dan is very interesting in that it's, it's uh, symbolically, uh, you know, was a serpent and, and everything. Um, and then later, you know, was was counted, you know, removed from the 12 tribes. Uh, and there's also the early church believe that the Antichrist would come from the tribe of Dan uh, as well, too, uh, which was was very propagated in the early church uh, since it's, it's uh, you know, uh, names were removed from the 12 tribes in Revelation. So interesting. Yes, it's not where my research has taken me, so I, I couldn't say anything about it with any authority at all. So I, I'll leave that on you. I was just saying it's something you might want to look into. It might be a side, but there might be something there. Uh, absolutely. There probably is. I mean, I mean, there's there's stories, you know, of if you understand that like a lot of God's people, they weren't perfect and a lot of them probably did maybe fall to the wayside and give into the serpentine race, you know, and followed that path instead. Um, and I think it's the idea, you know, that you blot them out from the book of life, those who obviously go that way. Um, and it's why the book itself, you know, I said this in that talk with Sam Tripoli, but it's basically the Bible is just a book of genealogies for that specific reason is to make sure people know exactly where the bloodline comes from, who is and isn't of the serpentine race, basically. <laughs> and it's trying to prove, you know, from, you know, from Seth all the way down to Jesus, that it's a pure lineage. That's the whole point of being so meticulous about bloodlines and why you have these families and these names that do disappear from the book, you know what I mean? And are blotted out in that respect. And it's, it's all about the serpent war. It's a seed war, as uh, Rob Skiba would call it, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'll look into that myself now you pointed out to me. Yeah, but uh, it's just, again, it's just not where my research has taken me specifically. I've, I've just been drowning in clowns for the past, like, year <laughs> myself, you know. Uh, Jeremy, is there anything you want to ask Paul in closing? And that we definitely want you to plug, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 um, uh, find, you know, fundraising that you're doing for your book and, yeah. uh, you know, um, understanding uh, a conspiracy or YouTube channel, uh, which I myself have been a uh, follower for a while um paul but is there anything you want to ask in closing jeremy is there any other questions else you can pick up or anything i know i just want to say thank you for coming on man and we'd love to have you on again i'm sure there's a whole lot oh, very much to so. dive into um i didn't know oh, yeah. if there's anything else that you wanted to touch before we got off of here is there anything else you'd like to bring up i'm just trying to think about what we've not covered to say for next time um well we've not talked about dmt jesters that, that much and the psychedelic realm which i think it reaches a lot of new age thought um Maybe we can save that for next time, but quickly summarized here is uh, the entities you're meeting on the other side are just the Nephilim spirits. They're nothing special. Um, where they are is not a special place. You're not going to a special place when you go to DMT. You're just going to a very basic realm where things cannot be embodied. That's as simple as that. It's actually a lesser world than our world. It's not a better world. Um, it's a place where form can't take form. It's where consciousness has no form, basically. 
Uh, we live in the embodied world. We live in the best world. We live in the place where those entities on the other side want to be. And you should count that as a blessing that you're here and not there, rather than playing with drugs to try and go there instead and think that place is better, you know. There's a reason why God says not to do that, you know, because it's not that he's not a fun guy and doesn't want you to have a good time, you know. <laughs> it's because the, the entities that are currently in that realm are the disembodied spirits of the dead Nephilim. It's a war zone. And if you go there ignorant and not not aware of what you're dealing with, um, you, you're going to lose that war, unfortunately. You know what I mean? You're not ready. possessed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that definitely can happen. Yeah. Um, as happened to, sadly, uh, many people have become demonically possessed through the use of psychedelic drugs uh, or using, you know, meditation or occultic practices that are forbidden. Uh, and God forbid them for that purpose, because for one, uh, the sin of uh, witchcraft is akin to rebellion. Um, and second, you know, it does open you up to demonic possession. And if you're a Christian, demonic oppression, uh, you know, and it's something that we, you know, um, definitely should speak out against because in this world where uh, do what thou will reigns, you know, you're getting a large amount of pushback if you try to take people's, um, you know, uh, use of psychedelic drugs to uh, numb the pain of the world instead of coming to the only truth, uh, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People get very upset about that. They get very upset. Uh, you know, once, you know, you tell them that, hey, this isn't good for you. I've been there. It's not good for you. It wasn't good for me. and It's not good for you. Um, and only, you know, Jesus Christ can bring you that peace and comfort that you seek out and understanding of the world that psychedelics will never give you the truth. It won't, you know, it will only be a lie. It'll the, only well, be a subjective lie. The sad thing so. is, the sad thing is that they, they take these things like DMT because they want to try and find evidence of something higher another world let's say they're looking for answers aren't they and they think they're going to find it by taking dmt and going to this spirit realm as they call it this other place you know and they're looking for spiritual beings they're looking for spiritual confirmation for answers i suppose in a way they're looking for god unfortunately god isn't still here on the world which is where you're actually going the sad irony is when they take dmt they aren't leaving the world they're still very much within it and that realm is very much a part of this world. They're not going anywhere special. They had they never even left the world, and they think they've left their body and projected yep. themselves to another dimension. They haven't. They're, they're still here. The DMT realm is just the other side of the coin. The DMT realm is the matrix code. It's the green code for this world that's being projected. The DMT realm is just behind the walls. It's the pipes. It's the, that run the, the building, the, the, the thing that we're supposed to be experiencing. It's the warp to the woof of a carpet. It's the underside of a carpet. It's the mess where all the strings connect from the artist weaving. The other side where we live is the design, the thing that's perfect, the thing that God intended us to be. Taking DMT takes you nowhere special. That's that's the lie. That's the lie you've been told through so many people who you know there are characters out there who try and tell you, take DMT, go to the spirit world, communicate with ascended masters and spirit guides. Nope, you're right here on the earth. You're just perceiving it now because of the drug. It's otherwise locked away from you because it's not necessary to perceive it all the time. It will drive you insane if you did all the time. Be glad you can come back because those beings who are there in that disembodied state on the earth, trapped in that matrix, we'll call it, they want to get back here desperately. They hate it there. It's horrible. It is hell to them. They have 
these thoughts, these desires, this consciousness, these feelings, this hunger, and they cannot satisfy it in any way, shape or form. They have no body. They are desperate to get back here. You are the prize to them. Your body yep. is the prize. Okay. The and, they, and they're trying to convince you that where they are is the prize. Where they are is better. It's a lie. It's a lie. You know, and it's a lie it, from the pits of hell. It, it, it might, Man, I've never heard it explained like that. That was that was awesome. No, it, like, so true too. We are the vessel for them to get out of that yeah. side so they can because they thirst, they hunger, you know. But and they're they, off in the wilderness. Like they're stuck there. It's not Essentially, I mean, it's still mixed in with this earth, though. You know what I mean? Obviously, demons are very present. You know, they could do physical things, yep. even though they may not be manifesting as physical. But they, you know, it, it's kind of mind-boggling when you try to think about what is behind the eyes, like what they're seeing. You know what I mean? Because hmm. you've seen like the DMT trips, and we can only, you know, artistically articulate it. You know, we. You can't really look at it unless you're doing the drug itself. I mean, there's plenty of videos online where they show you animation and all this stuff, you know, trying to explain their experience. But even that's enough to be like, man, I would not want to be stuck there. No, it's all demonic. It's all demonic. And and yes, there are obviously there's a spiritual realm, a supernatural realm uh, that's around us, you know, and, and everything. But, you know, when people do that, it's, you know, they're they're rebelling against god and in doing so they're accepting whatever they come in contact with to come back with them and then like you said paul they're trying to experience to be on earth again uh you know and there's a lot of people i mean i myself when i was a new ager I, and we talked about this jeremy uh we've had shows on it where i had sleep paralysis and, and, and you know delusions and visions and everything like that where I was being demonically possessed and oppressed. And you like I guess something Paul I'd like to talk about next time with you is is go go in depth into the hat man yes. uh, and kind of the representations of Satan is something we didn't get to talk to that a lot of people with sleep paralysis end up having the visions that they end up having uh, of, of, of demonic entities mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and, the, and the power of people having faith and actually calling out to God uh, you know, uh, repelling or ridding such enemies, you know, of God's, you know, power of being able to do such, um, you know, it's not like a, a magical incantation people are saying, you know, it's, it's God's power that these beings flee from, from you know, uh, you know, God's holiness and Jesus' holiness and the holiness of the Holy Spirit, um, you know. Sure. And so, you know, it, it, I, that's something I definitely want to talk to you next time. If we uh, hopefully have you on again, brother, is is this is you know discuss, um, you know every you know stuff stuff that we didn't get to, to, yeah. to um, it's touch imp- on on your your broad body of work. It's impossible um, to touch on everything in two hours. It really is. Uh, yes, I mean on some triple these podcasts, I I'm disappointed. That I on I literally just scratched the surface. I had so much more to say that I just did not have time to say um it was it was fun it was good fun yeah but the thing is i'd love to talk about music industry as well and the art industry in the movies um and how they use the magic of dressing like a clown to gain power um a lot of that quickly you know like musicians for example channel demons to get skills and power they dress a certain way to do that just like the ancestor uh, spirit worship tribes do once you notice it it's everywhere i have a whole body of work dedicated to exposing it all you know um this is just it's crazy to look at Lady Gaga and her stage performances and stuff right there. <laughs> well, there's that's one example of thousands, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's, right. e- it's everywhere. It permeates every form of creative design industry that you can imagine. Every single every single creative design industry is dominated by demons, basically, um, and people who channel them. 
Uh, it's kind of, I'll summarize it like this. If you want to make it in this world as anything creative, dress like a crazy clown monster and you'll get there. <laughs> you will be elevated. That's basically it. That's basically it. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you, brother. Um, I'm on YouTube. So understanding conspiracy, uh, you'll find my logo. Um, it's the, the, the yellow star with a red circle in the middle, basically. Um, you can also find me on Twitter by searching at you underscore conspiracy. Um, you can also find me on Telegram. If you type in Understanding Conspiracy, I have a great group on there. You can join in the conversation. That's wonderful. Share all your clown findings with us. And we love it on there. And we're always uh, sharing our ideas with one another. So that's another place you can find me. So yeah, um, YouTube, Twitter, and Telegram are the three main places. Um, I'm also on Odyssey and BitChute, but I don't use those platforms. They're just backup platforms just to make sure my body of work never disappears if I ever get banned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, know, you can follow me on there if you want. Um, I'm currently writing the book on this subject. Um, I am 14 chapters in. I'm about halfway there. I've written about 50,000 words, 100 pages so far. Um, and I plan to have that finished, hopefully, and published halfway through next year. Um, so it's a long process, but I'm working on that. If you want to fund that project, there is a GoFundMe you can find on my page. Um, it's kind of a pre-order system. Any amount at all will get you a special thank you in the book, unless you want to be anonymous. That's fine. Um, but if you pay £100, which is about $125 or more, you'll get a free signed copy of the book once it's published. So that's kind of the pre-order system I've got going there. And mainly the costs of that GoFundMe go towards paying for buying image rights and um, publishing costs and you know, copywriter costs, all that stuff. So that's what it's basically for. Um, but that's uh, that's it. Um, that's where you find me. YouTube is the main spot. Follow me on there. I have many more videos about many subjects. <laughs> you go to my playlists. I try to keep them all separated into different sections. So that's where you'll find me. And one of the last things that I enjoy that you do is is you drive you uh, film yourself talking when you drive to work sometimes, <laughs> uh, just giving out thoughts of current events or research that you were doing, uh, almost like a vlog style. And I very much yeah. appreciate that. It's something I don't do personally myself. Uh, but, you know, there are many YouTubers that do, and I do enjoy listening to those. Um, so I want to, you know, definitely thank you for those, uh, you know, too, as well, and, and, um, and for your body of work. Um, and definitely thank you for being on By Their Fruits, brother. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on in the future. Thanks for yeah, having thank me. You, no, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to come back on. We'll arrange something, definitely. That's fine for me. God bless. God bless everybody. Uh, that's it on our end. Um, uh, take care. Uh, hopefully we'll be back within couple of shows uh here quickly instead of a matter of weeks uh and uh, take care everybody bye god bless thank you all right guys thanks for listening to that uh the guys have gone now um yeah it was a fun little talk i enjoyed it um let's, i'm gonna quickly catch up with the chat see what's going on here well, it looks like not many people said much, which is good. That means you were all listening. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, I don't know how many people I had in the chat. I wasn't following any any of that, to be honest. Let's have a look. Uh, wow, we reached uh, 73 at its peak, was it? No, 90 people at its peak were watching live. That's a new record, guys. That's a new record for the live show. Wonderful. 
That's great. Uh, obviously, uh, I think a lot of Sam Tripoli's listeners have probably come over and uh, I have them to thank for that. I hope you enjoyed this. This isn't actually my usual live show format, if you are curious. Um, I do a weekly show every Sunday called The Truth of Therapy Sessions. And it's basically a place for us to uh, discuss our angst and anger over recent events and obviously uh, talk about ways of dealing with knowing the truth and how we can best cope with that and the consequences of knowing the truth. And I usually give a little presentation as well where I uh, show some of my recent research, some random musing and ideas, things that might not necessarily make it into a, a video of their own, but interesting stuff nonetheless. And then I have a, a bit of a conversation with everybody. So if you like if you like that kind of format, every Sunday I do a two-hour show, 8 p.m. Uh, UK time. That's roughly about uh, 12, 12, a, 12 in the afternoon central time, I think, roughly. It's either five, five to eight hours difference to America. Uh, but yeah, guys, that, that was fun. Let's just see what we've got in the chat. Say hi to people. I've got my, my loving wife there. Um, I've got uh, AS8990. Thanks, thanks for being here. Congratulations on your Sam Tripoli appearance. You're going to be reaching a bigger and bigger audience. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Kanga Kong, thanks for being here. Uh, would someone please drop a link to the podcast Paul just did? I'm so tired of everything is taking long. Um, <clears throat> I actually did just post a video of the podcast in my community tab on my channel, uh, the Kanga Kong, if you want to watch it. Um, Humble Stranger, good to see you. Uh, and Sabaner, good to see you. James Edwin, thanks for being here. Space Marine, the show is boring so far. Yeah, sorry for, for the long opening. We were just discussing some technical things before we started. Um... So we've got Humble Stranger, that's great. So you guys are drunk wedding photographer, thanks for seeing you. That's uh it's always a pleasure. I hope there wasn't much modding modding needed during this uh, live chat. Like I said, I've not been able to look into it myself. But I trust uh, I trust my uh, my my people. Burning Man apparently is going to hell. Yeah, I saw videos of uh, literally fire tornadoes going down in Burning Man. That, that was crazy. Maybe I'll have to look into it and do my own video about it. But the Festival of Clowns clearly had its retribution today. I'll say that much. Um, literal pestilence of Burning Man this year. Fairy shrimp are hatching there too. <laughs> so I'm counting that as locusts. Interesting. Um, Paul, understanding conspiracy, you should talk about what's happening at Burning Man. The ritual got ruined. <laughs> good, good, I suppose. Something crazy always happens at that event every year. It's just it's just a pagan festival, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, Histories, Mysteries Revealed. Thanks for being here. Cool name. Zolodius, thanks for being here. Uh, I have no idea what Galahad 007 is on about there, so I'm going to leave it. Uh, learned elders of Timo. <laughs> Everyone and their mum are into the New Age Gnosticism. That's true. I know, right? Tell me about it. 
It loses trust and externalization of the hierarchy, says a random comment. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going. We're living that right now, the externalization of the hierarchy. All things that are hidden are becoming known. That seems to be how it's going. Um, Gethin Jones just discovered you from Tinfoil Hat Appearance. Great channel. Really relates to your story and history. Had similar experiences with DMT and actually encountered a jester. Well, Gethin Jones, I'm uh, I'm glad you like the channel, and yeah, our stories, yeah, our story is everybody's story. It seems in the truth of culture, that's for sure. It's funny. I one of my best friends has the second name Gethin Jones, so you threw me off for a second there. <laughs> but I'm guessing you're not Adam Gethin Jones, my mate, are you? So I'll leave it at that. Um, as I mentioned before, even Christians I know snap when reference when I reference Paul's work. Really, I, many Christians don't like my work either. You know, I've met a few. I've met a couple who really hate me. I have. <laughs> it's a shame, really, because I'm on their side. I don't know why. I don't know why. Ah, uh, yes, the jester god. Many have experienced this entity. Yeah. Um. Oh, brother, I'm out of here, says Ray. Okay, bye. Um, shrine of funerals are nuts. <laughs> I've never seen a shrine, shrine of funeral. I'll have to look into that now you've said it. Love how God sometimes uses tools of the enemy to bring people to him. That's right. Clowns visiting sick children is so wrong infuriating really it is in light of this new theory isn't it absolutely Clown laughter is a good medicine but clowns just aren't funny that's right um so i'm just gonna have a quick drink here what's left of my uh my coke from mcdonald's <laughs> give me a second might be a prophecy coming true perfect perfect red heifers sacrifice for the third temple to be built in the mount Maybe we're getting all uh, theological, are we? Uh, Rennie McRae, are either of you familiar with Jonathan Clegg's interpretations of the Elohim creators? It lines up with these ancestor creators. I used to watch a lot of Jonathan Clegg's work years ago. I haven't looked at it recently. I've kind of forgot what it was all about. He said a lot of things, Jonathan Clegg, <laughs> in a very weird way. The way he crops, like, cuts his videos... It was difficult for me to watch, to be honest. Um, but I did, I did watch him for quite a while. Um, back in the day. Um, so we can discuss Marvel methodology, but not discuss the infallible word of God. I don't know what you're talking about, the CD101. The speaker is not of God. So I say you're saying I'm not of God. Is it? Is that what we're saying? Discernment. It's ridiculous that it's core. Um, scripture. Do not exegize. 
I, yeah, I don't know what you're saying there, CD101. Uh, I'm sorry if I've offended you or <laughs> whatever's going on there. I don't know who you're talking about or anything, to be honest. Um, there is a lady who is subbed here. Her name, I think, is Texas and Mama in it. She was telling me she was ill as a child and went to a Shriner's hospital. Her Shriner came over to take photos. And they wanted her to take it without shirt on. Oh, that's, that's dark. Suddenly to show her arm that she had been cured. She said she used her arms to keep her modesty. She said other things too sounded horrible. Yeah, the Shriners seemed like a dodgy group. Paul does tie all this in scripture as well. There is too much evidence in other areas, so he brings all of that to the table. The messages that clown imagery throughout history to, to today were demons. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, I don't know what your issue is. Um, I'm sorry I don't live up to your standards of what is necessary to say about believing in God. Um, but I assure you I am a born-again Christian and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ is everybody's Lord and Saviour. They just don't realise it yet. They wanted her to take it without showing sure. Yeah, okay. Texas Mama Bear. Yeah, I've heard of Texas Mama Bear before. Um, I think she runs a homeschooling channel, if I remember correctly. Is that right? <laughs> I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've heard of her before. Speaker is from masonry. How do I know discernment and the careful prancing around the word of the small G Lucy Lucifer? I've never pranced around exposing Lucifer as their gods. I am not a mason, not even in the slightest. Um, your discernment, I'm afraid, is extremely lacking there, CD101. I'm afraid. What is the name of the movie Paul is talking about? I think it's one I've been trying to find. Uh, Clown, I think it was called. Is that the movie I talked about? Blavatsky was brilliant for a heretic. Yeah. It's evil dressed in what is perceived as innocent. Satan deceived the whole world. He did. That's what the clown exactly is. Did you hear about the Nottingham Joker, Paul? He was a beggar that would dress as a clown joker on the streets. He dropped a TV on a council worker's head from his flat window. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I've not heard of that one, the Nottingham Joker. I will look into that, though, now you've mentioned it. That sounds um, very interesting. I'm trying to find funny little stories where people who are associated with clowns have done silly stuff like that. Um, horrible things. There's a lot of them. <laughs> There's a lot of stories of people dressed like clowns or take on the persona of a joker or a clown and end up doing some horrible stuff. It seems to happen quite a lot. Um, Trump was dressed as a clown in Snoop Dogg's video, then he gets shot in his music vid. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it bad, bad, not good? Is that what the song's called? Um, I've actually done a full video breaking down that music video in my Nephilim Look Like Clown series, Knife Life. So go and find that if you want. Um, sorry, Nana P. Knife Life says, yes, I think he's trolling, trying to make the Messiah look like a joke. I mean, he only wears white, blue-eyed Jesus shirts, which is completely mockery, and he continues to dress that like a clown. Ah, so I think we're talking about Richie.
Yeah, we're talking about Richard the Barber, aren't we? Whether or not we trust him. You think he's an enemy on the inside. Um, see, I, I've given my opinion on Richie um, um, before, and I don't want to dwell on him too much, but uh, yeah, from what I can see, I don't feel like he's that sincere in his faith. He could possibly just be a new Christian who's overzealous right now, um, but he hasn't shown any signs to me that he's actually letting go of his of his persona and his, his worldliness yet in any way, shape or form. I don't think he's truly changed like he thinks he or says he has. It's possible that he could just be an agent, though, as well. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I hope I hope he is good. <laughs> but, you know, you just don't know. Race, not grace. Sin, not skin. That's right, humble stranger. Sorry, I was reading there about Jesus having blue eyes <laughs> and ginger hair in Roman descriptions. Um, Uh, <laughs> hair robe sounds itchy. Yeah, yeah, I've I've written it in my book actually about what they do with those. That's it's it's where the practice of scalping comes from as well. I think it was removing the hair of these nephilim that they killed. They were kind of like prize trophies because it was an unnatural color. You know what I mean? It was an insane color. Paul, you're hitting home runs. Excellent, says Kanga. Thank you. Uh, talk about what Jesus looked like, fair enough. Um, sorry guys, I'm just trying to read through all these comments. Hey, visiting with Paul, thanks for being open-minded and exploring this topic. No worries, ears to, ears to hear, eyes to see. Thanks for being here. Talk about two races, serpent seed, yep. 52 thumbs up out of 83 people watching. <laughs> Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for being my cheerleader there. I appreciate that. Um, saw Twilight's on with the clown last night. <laughs> Watched with new eyes. Yeah, wherever you see a clown now, you'll not be able to look at it in the same way ever again. That's basically what's going to happen from now on. <laughs> I've ruined clowns for you all. I'm sorry. <laughs> the funny thing is, right, I actually don't care about clowns at all. When I'm not doing this, I'm not thinking about clowns. Um, I've never cared about them. I have, I've never had any, like, form of giving them a second thought my entire life until recently. <laughs> like, I'm not really, a, like, a clown enthusiast in any way, shape, or form. Um, I kind of having to force myself to research the history of clowns <laughs> just for the book. Because it's not really what I'm that interested in, do you know what I mean? But uh, typical, I'm the one that now has to talk about clowns all the time. It's interesting. I guess that's just kind of God's sense of humour.
History's Mysteries Unveiled in the chat has content coming soon on his channel. So subscribe to him, guys. History's Mysteries Unveiled. Copyright. <laughs> and uh, check out whatever he's going to produce soon. Amen and amen, says Sir Alexander Full. And he's just donated five Canadian dollars. Thank you very much. What What's the comment? If they assassinate Trump and he comes back to life, maybe Elon Chip. Antichrist? My thoughts last week. Now you remind me of Trump clown video. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot about uh, Trump being the possible Antichrist. I have. Um, I'm open-minded to stuff like that. I am. But I'm also not willing to put all my eggs into one basket and then be so certain about that type of stuff. But I will definitely have, you know, keep it in my repertoire of possibilities so I'm not deceived when something does happen. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, um, it's interesting to think about that kind of stuff and everyone should keep their eyes on that character. But I know there's been plenty of antichrists throughout history that people have pointed the finger to when they crop up. So, you know, you should be careful. Um, but it's definitely fun to speculate, but I wouldn't bank on those. I wouldn't put all your chips and money on those bets. <laughs> I really wouldn't because uh, who knows? There may be a lot more to come yet before the Antichrist turns up. Um, thanks for the show today, says Ricky Maru. Always learn so much during every show. You've got my mind opening to the clown theory and you put in a great perspective. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You need to look up some of the Danny Phantom cartoon series characters. Some of them came off as being very clownish and basically behaving like a demon. They reminded me of Beetlejuice as Jack Smith. That's right, and I believe you're the one who told me about the killer who killed his workmate who was obsessed with one of the characters from Danny Phantom as well. Yeah, yeah, dark stuff. Never liked clowns, just seem like nonsense. Now I <laughs> I understand it now, says Nana P. Yeah. May have to donate to the book effort, says Sir Alexander Full. Please do. Like I said, the links are down below if you want to get involved. Um, like I said, you can, you can choose an anonymous option. But if you don't want to be anonymous, I will give you a special thank you in the book. Um, any donation will get you that, get you that privilege. Um, if, but if it's over £100... So about 125 American dollars. Uh, you'll get a free signed copy of the book sent to you by myself once I've published and ordered them. I will not stand for this clown phobia. Uh, well, col cholerophobia is the word you're actually looking for there, uh, Falsgiron. <laughs> uh, but cholerophobia is perfectly justified in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they're literally they're literally representing demons and there's nothing scarier than a demon so mm, it's gonna have to stand unfortunately uh this is a clown free zone yeah i'm, I'm prejudiced against clowns i'll say it um <laughs> clowns deserve rights too i disagree there we go uh i'm getting a book <laughs> Yeah, guys, like I said, the book's in progress um, in these live shows. If you don't know, if you're new to it, I do share a lot of stuff about my books in these live shows. I do readings occasionally as well. I give progress updates as I write chapters. You know, I give overviews of what I've written and where the direction of the book is going. Um, so if you want to keep up to date with stuff like that, then I recommend checking out the live shows. I occasionally publish the odd chapter as I write them as well. Um, yes, that's good fun. Um, 
if you want to support the book, I would greatly appreciate that. Like I said, uh, in all honesty, you know, I reckon it may take, <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe just less than a year to get it fully done, dusted, edited, published, printed, everything, you know, and out there for sale. It's a long process. Um, but uh, like I said, I'm writing it. I am writing it. It's getting there. I'm currently on chapter 14, which is the history of the clown. So I'm seeped in clown history at the moment. <laughs> and I literally am just swimming in a sea of clowns. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I'm trying to summarize it all in maybe like a four-page chapter, which is really hard <laughs> because it just goes on and on and on and on. And then the next chapter I have to write about is secret societies and their veneration of the clown as well. So, you know, the, the plan's there. Um, all the chapters are mapped out. So it's, it's, it's going. The progress is going well. Um, yeah, sorry, I just got an email that I should check in quickly. Um, yeah, but guys, I think it's it's been a good show. I think I've said hi to everyone. I've got a a bit of a got to know a few new new faces in the chat, which is always great to see. It's like we've had a good turnout today, which is wonderful. Um, I hope you like the work, guys. I hope you stick around to see what else I come up with and. Hope you get involved in the community. If you didn't hear about it, um, I do have a Telegram group. You can go and find the links are down below in the videos, or the, if not in this video, check one of my more recent uploads, and the link should be there in the descriptions. Um, join in, you know, join the join the Telegram. Start sharing your thoughts, images, anything you've found clam related. I'm always interested in seeing. Um, always, who knows? Maybe I'll make it into the book. Eh? But yeah, check that out if you haven't already, guys. Um, to people who do follow me, I'm I'm on Twitter now. I'm I've started to actually use it. It's called X, isn't it? Um, it's it's a good way to network. Uh, I've been invited onto a few group chats there, and I've I've networked with a lot of people, podcasters on there. Um, I I don't have many people on Twitter, many subscribers or followers. I think they're called. Uh, so if you want to go follow me on Twitter, that would be appreciated. And I'm always posting random little uh things on there mainly just throwing shade at, at idiots who are, who are clearly satanic is what i've been doing lately <laughs> and, and spamming my nephilim clown stuff to anybody who dresses like a clown um just for a bit of i'm just using it as a bit of fun i'm not taking it too seriously but uh, go check that out if you're interested um but yeah guys i'll i'll leave it there uh, thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the podcast i will link their version of the podcast once they upload it um obviously this was just a live recording um go check them out go follow them on the links down below in the descriptions of this video all the all the affiliated links are down there so go check them out buy their fruits nice guys uh, i met them through jesse spots he recommended them um or no he didn't recommend them but someone who i don't know i can't remember how it all happened but jesse spots was involved <laughs> so that's it um i might get jesse spots on to have another talk with us soon to be honest um I'm, i've been trying to and that that should be fun to reconnect with an old friend there. Uh, Mozk, can you provide a link to Twitter? Um, I will provide the link right now before I leave. So anyone who wants to join on Twitter, follow this link, which I'm about to post in the group chat. Give me one second. Let's go to my account. I think I've got to type it in at you. There it is, right. So I'm going to copy that. 
and this is it guys i'm going to post it post it now follow that link and you can go to the twitter and start following me on there as well Love this guy. Why the star of Renfam thumbnail though? I did explain it in this video actually, but it's um, it's, it's there because it is the enemy's symbol. It's it's the thing you have to understand to understand the conspiracy. Okay, so it's there as the thing, as like an amalgamation symbol of everything you need to understand. So it's um, it represents the planets. So it's Saturn, Venus, and Mars, which represents the false trinity. You know of um. The mother goddess, uh, light and the sun worship and also war in the middle and um, the Antichrist is the red dot representation. It's also inspired by symbols of an alien sky in which um, it said that people um, worshipped an image of the alignment of the planets, which is shown below where Saturn was the main sun at the, at the time. It's also made up of sacred geometry because the New Age agenda is embedded into the symbol and that's something that's also a deception you have to understand. Um, if you look at my main symbol or image on the screen um, here, if I can get it up, as you can see, I've broken it down because um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the symbol of the conspiracy. We're going to break it down into its individual pieces and understand each one individually before we put it together and see the bigger picture as a whole. That's basically all the symbols there for. It's a, it's a symbol of the conspiracy you need to understand. And that's it. That's all the symbols for. I know, I know its connotations to Remfan. I do, and I, I understand that. <laughs> I'm not for it. I don't promote it. Uh, my words, you know, explain that quite clearly. Um, and remember, it was created uh, during a time when I was a New Age Gnostic trippy thinker. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of a remnants of that as well. Um, and I'm not going to rebrand or change anything now. I like it. You know, it's. Uh, it's my history. It's where this channel came from. And it's. It, I think it still holds strong today as it did when I first created it, to be honest. So there's the explanation for the logo again, if you're interested. Yeah, it's not being donned or glorified necessarily as just there. I suppose in a way I'm kind of luring in the new ages as well so that I can then beat them over the head with Jesus. <laughs> I guess it's kind of what I'm still doing with it. Um, I think Jesse deleted his YouTube channel. He did. We didn't delete it. He got kicked off of YouTube. Um, someone forced him off, and yeah, it was a big thing. Um, but he's on. He's on Twitter. You can get him on there, and he's also on BitChute occasionally. Yeah. So there you go. I've uh, I've explained it all to you now. I am gonna go, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and as always, God bless.